You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand the chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Recorded live. Black Power, BB Fohier, my hotel, Welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio. This is Brother Born. We're getting it in nice tonight. You know the family is out here. We got us a, a special tonight. We got us a, a guest coming in. We're gonna do us a nice interview with our with our elder, with Dr. Walter Williams. We're gonna make sure we got it respectful. Let's get everybody in. We're gonna give a little uh, monologue. Here we go. Let's let's get our chat room open. Get everything open and see if we got the uh, good doctor on the line already. Let me see here. Dr. Williams. Yes, can you hear me? Yes, sir, I can hear you now. I can hear you now. Okay. All right. Um, well, thank you for uh, coming in. Um, like I said, I just wanted to, I wanted to make sure that that was your line here because the way that we have it set up, I just wanted to make sure that I had uh, had your, your line open first before we, um, you know, before we got into the, uh, into the topic. And let me... Get our uh, brother Menkara line. Let's get our brother Menkara's line open. Well, Dr. Walter Williams, well, thank, thank you for uh, coming to the show. We welcome you to the Feet on the Ground uh, radio show where our perspective here is we African first, second, and third. Uh, we strive to, as, as the show name is, our Feet on the Ground, we, we strive to have solid information, stay connected with the people, stay rooted and grounded in facts first only. And so, um, you know, it's a, definitely a pleasure to have you on. Um, our brother Minkara, um has spoken to you several times. We've, we've, um, we've actually gone over your book, The Origin of Christianity. We did a, a four-part series on the origin of Christianity, and your book was the basic guide for our program. So we definitely like to thank you for the uh, monumental works that you have done for the community. Thank you so much for appreciating my work, and thanks for having me on. I certainly appreciate it. Yes, sir. Uh, Brother Mikarov, is that you out there? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. I hear you clear. I hear you How clear. you doing, uh, Dr. Walter? Yeah, Williams? I'm fine, How you doing? Uh, Brother Mikarov. How you doing? I'm fine, sir. Thank you for call, uh, calling in and blessing us with your presence. Thank you for having me. I certainly appreciate it. Yeah. Well, our family, what we're going to do tonight is tonight's title is Misnomers in History with the brother, Dr. Walter Williams. We're going to get a clarification on, on a lot of different things. Um, we're going to, at first, though, our family, we're going to uh, take some time uh, and have just a, a little conversation with the brother. Brother Mekarah will be leading that conversation up. And I say, uh, 
in about an hour or so, you know, um, depending upon how the doctor, you know, would like it, we'll open up the lines for questions from the audience. You know, we're trying to make sure that we get everybody in um, to ask a question. But, we're, you know, we're going to go at the pace that the doctor wants. Tonight is your night. We open up the show to you. And uh, like I said, we hope to have a, a very uh, good dialogue this evening and definitely clear up a lot of miseducation and um, things of that nature that have been floating around in the African community. Yes. How's it? Well, let's this, this, this flow, flow together. Yes, sir. Well, uh, Brother Mikara, you know, um, come on in, uh, come on in and, set, and set this thing. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, first off, uh, oh, uh, Dr. Walter, could you go ahead and give us a, a, a brief uh, uh, introduction about yourself and tell us, you know, who you are and so forth for the general crowd who may not know about you and your work? Okay. Well, my name is uh, Walter Williams, and I've been two books, one, The Historical Origin of Christianity. It's been out for... Uh, 22 years now, and uh, selling all over America and the uh, UK and the Caribbean and all the other English-speaking countries. And my second book, The Historical Origin of Islam, has been out for uh, 13 years now. And that's also selling all over America and the UK and the Caribbean, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, the thesis of my first book, The Historical Origin of Christianity, is saying there's never been a man that ever walked the earth in human form of any race, creed, or color by the name of Jesus Christ never existed. The second book, The Historical Origin of Islam, is saying that there's never been a man that ever walked the earth in human form by the name of, uh, Islam, uh, by the name of Muhammad of Islamic tradition never existed. So those are my two books, and I'm working on my third book. My wife and I, we're uh, at the brink of uh, finishing our uh, third book. Uh, and that third book is called The Spelling Myths of Ancient Egypt. And uh, it's loaded and pregnant with uh, lots of uh, historical information that, that nobody is talking about. So, uh, uh, for instance, the last chapter in the book uh, that my wife and I are working on, we we're working on the, the uh, Sumerian cuneiform myth exposed. We're going to expose uh, what the cuneiform is all about and what the uh, Sumerians are all about and so forth and so on. Uh, so, and then also in that book is the repudiation of the Hyksos is in there. Um, the, uh, the third chapter is, is called, uh, I have a warning in there uh, that says that warning to all African scholars, teachers, intellectuals, and students, do not use the chronology of ancient Egypt. Why? Because the ancient Egyptians never wrote a chronology of themselves. The chronology that's out there today was written and created by uh, Western academia using the Bible to do so. So we can't use that, uh, uh, that, that chronology. In fact, I've I, I put and present five different chronologies so you can see the differences and the things that I'm talking about in there. Um, then also, uh, the, four, the fourth chapter is, is, is saying that uh, I'm repudiating uh, the Persian uh, biblical mythology also. That's in there. And then um, I have another one in there. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's called Why the Metanatural Hieroglyphics Has Never Been Deciphered. And I have that in my first book, the Historical Origin of Christianity. But I'm, in this particular book, I'm adding an appendix to that uh, to make it stronger because I uh, want to add some new information to that, uh, to that argument. So this book is coming out. I'm very excited about it because it's just, oh, man, it's just loaded with information that 
African community needs to know, and nobody is bringing it to them. So we're going to bring it out. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Now, for the layman individual who may not know the uh, discussion that we're going to be having tonight, uh, being that we talk about history, and give give us give us something in terms of because I'm a victim of European uh, uh, curriculum, and we're taught that there are certain components that have to be met. Curriculum or criteria has to be met that makes what a civilization is. And they begin with telling us that Mesopotamia is is, is uh, that uh, origin of the first civilization. And you know, because of discussion, I know we don't have that much time. I would like to just go into some of the general, some of the general uh, uh, misnomers in history that they go over. So, uh, go ahead. Yeah. So, yeah, if you if you could give us give us a definition of what history means to European, meaning how did Europeans come about the curriculum of what is history for the layman, because they may not understand uh, uh, the discussion in terms of how you how you how are you you know saying that the chronology of all. Uh, 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 historical things are falling under a biblical chronology. So go over that, please. Okay, well, first thing, you have to understand that we in the African community in America has been taught away from ancient Egypt. In other words, we've been miseducated, just like uh, Carter G. Woodson said in his book, The Miseducation of the Negro, 1933. He said that uh, we had uh, been miseducated in America, and we're still being miseducated in America. For the sole reason of keeping us Africans, born in America, over four million of us, born in America, uh, away from ancient Egypt. Because if we find our way back to ancient Egypt, then white supremacy is over with. Okay, but you have to claim uh, your African uh, ancestry as your ancestors, the ancient Egyptians. Now, what the, you, you see, if I ask a question to most people, uh, where would you start uh, uh, European history? And I get many answers all over the board. But you have to realize that our ancestors, the ancient Egyptians, had the world's first and oldest civilization on Earth. Now, how can I prove that? Simply because they created an alphabet. Whoever created the first alphabet is the first literate people. And our ancestors created the first alphabet. And an alphabet cannot... Uh, after it's created, it cannot be uh, recreated or invented again. In other words, you can have many derivatives of the, that particular alphabet, which, uh, which they do today. You know, the Greeks got one, the Italians got one, so forth and so on. But those alphabets that is called the Greek alphabet and the, and the Latin alphabet, which is uh, uh, another, uh, another, uh, and also the English alphabet and, and um uh, uh, what is called the Arabic script and the Hebrew script and so forth and so on, all that came from that one alphabet that our ancestors, ancient Egyptians, created there in ancient Egypt. So that, if a person asks you, say, well, how do you know that the ancient Egyptians are the oldest uh, and first and oldest civilized people on earth? Because they created an alphabet. So now if you take your mind all over the world looking for an older civilization than ancient Egypt, you won't find one. It's not out there. So therefore... Our ancestors were, uh, the ancient Egyptians were the only literate people walking this planet we call Earth. They were the only literate people on Earth. And I'm not saying that to, to degrade any other races of people. I'm stating the fact. That's true. So you have to start there. And once you start in ancient Egypt, 
way up, all the way up from that point until 2015, where we are today. But you have to start there first. And uh, because we as an African people, we have to know what happened to our ancient Egyptian ancestors after the Greeks and the Romans came into Egypt. It's a history on that, you see. And uh, so uh, I'm, I'm bringing these things out in my book that I just told you about, Dispelling Myths of Ancient Egypt. My wife and I, we were co-authoring that book. So uh, that's what, that is what happened to us as a people and has happened and still continue to happen. Because when I went to school, in grammar school, grade school, they gave me a book called Little Black Sambo. And this is what I was supposed to be, Little Black Sambo. Uh, for those who are young and don't know the story of Little Black Sambo, uh, it's, uh, Little Black Sambo is an African boy who took the tiger by the tail and went around and around and around and treated until both turned to butter. This is supposed to be my history, our history, you see? And they gave that book to those, uh, at the time, uh, to white kids in school. So they can use that book, Little Black Sambo, and be superior. While Little Black Sambo was a book that's supposed to make us inferior, you see? So you have to really know exactly what's, uh, what's happening out here. And uh, you have to stay away from that Bible. That Bible, there's no truth in the Bible whatsoever. Ninety-nine and nine-tenths of every character that's mentioned in the Bible never walked to earth as a human being, never. Okay, so uh, don't let them put that on you about in the Mesopotamia and so forth and so on. Mesopotamia, you can't find it today. Okay, it's supposed to be in Iraq. But Iraq didn't come about until 1920, when the, uh, after World War I, when the League of Nations gave a mandate to the British government for uh, the area that we know today as the Middle East, but in actuality it's, a, it's Northeast Africa. So they gave them that mandate in 1920. So in 1920, the British government, with that mandate, uh, went to Arabia, which is in northeast Africa, that's known and called the Middle East, and boarded off a portion of, of Arabia and made Iraq out of it. And they boarded off a part of, of Iraq and made Kuwait out of it to break up that oil reserve over there, you see. And then Iran is next to Kuwait, you see. So Iran itself is in northeast Africa, you see. So you have to know really uh, that, Europeans did not develop in Europe. Why? Because they had no alphabet to develop with. That's never been any institutions that ever come out of, of, of Europe during the time of antiquity. The Europeans developed in Egypt uh, and in Syria and, and in Turkey, which is northeast Africa, called the Middle East. That's when and how they developed in a semblance of beginning development. You see, they came around our people, our ancestors, and began to assimilate them in dress, mannerism, et cetera, et cetera. And they learned because our ancestors, uh, after the Greek language was forced on them, uh, learned that uh, Greek language. And by them being the only literary people on earth having an alphabet, they applied an alphabet after learning the Greek language to the Greek language. You see, so today... Uh, uh, as a misnomer, they say, oh, this is the Greek alphabet. Greeks never had an alphabet, okay? But it was the, the Greek language that our ancestors applied an alphabet to. So when the Romans came over there, uh, uh, 
some years after the Greeks came in there. They uh, uh, learned what is known as, 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 as uh, Italian, etc., etc., and they applied an alphabet to that language. So that's how you get the Latin alphabet, and from the Latin alphabet comes the English, you see. And then uh, also the Arabic script is part and come from uh, the hieratic demonic alphabet that our ancestors created. The hieratic demonic alphabet is in my, uh, I have an alphabet chart in both books, Historical Origin of Christianity, Historical Origin of Islam. Uh, if you go to that chart and you go all the way to the left of that chart, you see three lines under Egyptian. Now, that, the first line is uh, pictorial symbols called uh, the Melanesian hieroglyphics. And then the uh, second and third line are your hieratic and demonic cursive alphabet, phonetic alphabet. You see, and you can trace how those alphabets derive from the hieratic demonic, see? So this, you really have to know these things, but uh, our community has been torn away from all of this simply because they don't want you to know this because they have taught us that we are inferior people. And once you find that your ancestors are uh, uh, the first and only civilized people on earth that civilized this whole planet from their culture coming out of Africa, that culture of ancient Egyptians civilized this whole entire world, the world today, the people walking around the earth today, uh, our civilization coming out of their culture. So we need to know that. We need to know that. And um, so this is what I have to say about that. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. So basically, the out, the overview of history that you just given and the outline of history as we've been taught has been recently written by a certain group of people. Well, you got you have to understand this also. Europeans is has only had an a, a, a institution of learning for 615 years. That's it, starting in 1400. See, up until to, to, to 2015, that's 615 years. Uh, started uh, the, the European Renaissance era, okay? But now who kicked that re- Renaissance era off was an African coming out of Constantinople. His name was Manuel Chrysoloras, who went over in... Florence, Italy, that's where the, the Renaissance uh, era for Europeans were kicked off, in Florence, Italy. It's a curia there. The word C-U-R-I-A means college there, you see. And he went over there in 1397, and he introduced uh, at that curia, at that college, uh, the rudiments of the Greek alphabet, you see. So he kicked it off. They had to, uh, he taught them their ABCs over there. And, and see, during that time, uh, Renaissance here, they only took uh, uh, males in, 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 into those learning institutions, uh, institutions at, at, at Florence, Italy. They only had a handful of few students over there, you see, but he kicked it off. Over. So, you, you, so you have the Renaissance era beginning in, uh, in, the, in, the, in the 1400s, which is the 15th century, and, and, the, and the, uh, 1500s, which is the 16th century, and so forth and so on. So this is how they came up to the, today, 2015. But the, the institutions uh, were started 615 years ago, you see? And in that, with that institution, they have put a lot of misnomers in there. They have put a lot of uh, uh, mythology in there. They have put a lot of lies in there. They have created characters in there. 
and uh, took those names and named certain characters and incarnated those characters. And how do you incarnate a character you, you create a name for? Just a name. No human, just a name. And you, 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 you incarnate that name by making a body for it and putting flesh on that body and attaching a story to that body, to that name, you see? And that name, if a person reads it, if you put that name in the Bible and it becomes a real person in the minds of the reader who don't know any better, you see? And they give that name, they incarnate that name, give it a birth date, a death date, give it a mother, father, give it whatever it wants to give it, you see, to make it real. So you read certain uh, uh, names in, in, in these textbooks put out by Western Academia, and you find all this loaded with lies. You see? So you really have to know what's going on, what has happened to us as a people, what's going on, what has gone on, and what's still going on. So there you have it. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Now, I have to ask these these questions for the general population because we have a strong and large contingency of people of African descent who claim a lot of uh, non-African origins, whether it be Hebrew, whether it be Islamic and so forth, um, who place their birth in uh, Jerusalem as being the Holy Land and so forth. And in terms of academia, who were some of the key players who made some of these sites such as Sumeria, Babylon, not so much relevant towards religion, but more or less archaeological, because I'm, I'm in the principle of anthropology, and they, they have enough study biblical sites like Shinar, Sumeria. And I'm like, this is biblical. But they're, who, you know, who are some of the key players who, who, who are given this biblical uh, uh, reality through, like you said, putting body and flesh on it through giving you fake artifacts and fake sites? Here, uh, this is Brother Nankara, is this. The Europeans don't know a beginning history for Europe or for Europeans. They don't know the beginning history of, 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 of their ancestors, okay? So what they have done, they have created a biblical chronology for themselves. Again, Ninety-nine and nine-tenths of every name that's mentioned in the Bible never walked the earth as a human being. So that's all made up based off of mythology, lies, and perverted scholarship. So you really have to understand that all that is what they are creating and have created, trying to get them uh, and make themselves, as Europeans, something in a people of substance. They don't have it. It's not there. You see, that's what my, these are, my, my book is pulling the cover off of them. It's not there. They have no beginning uh, knowledge of themselves, so they have to create something that's based on mythology. And they place it in the Bible uh, because the whole world, they have taught that the Bible is the word of God. Don't question that Bible. And people take the Bible literal, and you cannot take the Bible literal. Okay, so I, uh, there's a rabbi. Uh, he's a Hebrew, uh, he teaches at the Hebrew Union College in New York. His name is S. David Sperling. He wrote a book in 2000 called The Original Torah by S. David Sperling. He says, I am compelled to read the Torah uh, uh, allegorically because it can't.
cannot be read historically. That's that's right to the point. You see, and then he goes on to say there's never been any. This is this is this is a, a Jewish scholar who's saying that in this book he's saying there's never been an Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Sarah, Gideon, Esau, David, Solomon, or Joshua. And then I said, don't stop there. That ninety nine nine tenths of every name that's mentioned in the Bible uh, never walked the earth as a human being. So he's telling you right there. That's never been an Abraham. I've been telling you uh, the African community this for for forty years. This is my fortieth year out here. See? So what I'm saying to you, you have to understand. You have to know about the European also. You got to know his history, as well as our ancestors' history. So you so you know when lies come up to you, you say, "Oh, that's a lie. I can't accept that. That's from the Bible." I tell. Uh, 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 my students, I tell uh, as I lecture around the country, I tell my audience to take the Bible to the nearest refuge can and throw it in. It's garbage. Get it out of your life. You don't need that in your life. You see, you have to go back to your ancestors, the ancient Egyptians, where they have created everything that humanity is using today, which they developed coming out of their culture in ancient Egypt. Thank you, sir. You handled that very well. <laughs> very well. Thank you. Thank you. Um, now, going back a little bit, we have a lot of, I'm asking just random questions that, like I said, are misnomers and all people are running with this. So I, have to, I have these questions. But when the Greeks got to Egypt, because we have a lot of people who say that they're still reading metal natures, what were some of the dialects spoken that we can record in, that, in Egypt prior? Well, uh, you say what was what was ancient Egyptians speaking? You mean? Yes. yes. What are you saying? Because, yeah. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah, so yeah, you have, have some people who do nowadays who are you know sell, uh, selling books and so forth and leading lectures saying that they're reading Metu Netzer, and I'm you know my thing is how are you reading something you've never heard before? So you know, can you give us a, a, a overview on that if you could? You talking about the Metu Netzer hieroglyphics? Yes, sir. Okay, in my book, The Historical Origin of Christianity, on page 146, I have an appendix chapter in there that says why the metanatural hieroglyphics have, have never been deciphered. You cannot take symbols and put an alphabet to it like the uh, Europeans are trying uh, to do and get away with it. See, because they, uh, they said that they uh, have deciphered the hieroglyphics. No, you haven't. No, the hieroglyphics has not ever been deciphered. In order to uh, 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 have a decipherment of the hieroglyphics, number one, one would have to go and ask the ancient Egyptian what he or she meant for them to be. And they are not around for you and us to ask that question. So that, so therefore you have pictorial symbols that are identified as metanatural hieroglyphic symbols. So in order for you to understand those symbols, you have to ask uh, the people who drew those symbols during the time of antiquity, which is ancient times, what he or she meant for them to be. They're not around to ask that question. That's number one, reason why the, the metanatural hieroglyphics have never been deciphered. Two, number two reasons is this. If I, Walter Williams, and I have it in my book on that chapter on page 146, I drew a symbol there as an as a illustration. And 
I, if, if you, if, say for instance, if you have that book before you, let's pretend that you have that book before you, and you're looking at the symbols that I, I've drawn in, in that uh, book. Uh, the question I ask you is that, do you know, Menkara, what the meaning of that symbol that I just drew? What would you say? No, because okay. I don't know. You don't you know, know, right? Yeah. So I, then I would say, well, who, who would you have to ask? Uh, the person who drew it. I said, I just told you I drew it. I would have to ask you, sir. Okay, there you go. Now you're getting it. That's the second reason why, uh, to make my point. My third point is this. Um, when you when you go and take your driver's license test to drive a motor vehicle, you go down to the state uh, a motor vehicle, secretary of state, and you uh, uh, take your driver's test. They test you in three things, rules of the road, eyesight, and symbols. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Now, when you get to the symbols, they ask you, to explain the meaning of the symbol. They don't ask you to put no alphabet to it. Is that correct? <laughs> yes, sir. Okay. So they ask you, to, what is the meaning of this symbol? And if you don't know the meaning of it, you can't explain it, then you fail the test. You see? Now, the fourth reason why the Melanesian hieroglyphics have been ciphered, everybody knows the symbol of the question mark. Everybody know that symbol? Yes, sir. Okay. Now, uh, can you put an alphabet, uh, alphabetical uh, value to that symbol? Such as, can you call that question mark symbol an A, B, C, or M, or J, or K? Can you do that? No. You have to, that symbol, when you see that question mark, it's telling you something to do, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, what is it telling you to do? To question. Right? Just that one symbol is telling you to question. Is that right? Yes, sir. Okay. So, therefore, that's my fourth point. You see? And uh, so you have to uh, 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 understand what has happened and what's uh, continued to happen, happen to us in America and throughout the world by Western academia. Now, there's a, there's a woman by the name of Carol Andrews who wrote a book for the British Museum called The Rosetta Stone. And I quote her in my uh, Historical Origin of Christianity, the appendix chapter that I'm talking about. Uh, she's saying that, the, uh, strictly speaking, the hieroglyphics has never been deciphered. The hieroglyphics, uh, they only took a consensus among scholars to, uh, to use those symbols for uh, index purposes and identification purposes, you see, and so forth and so on. But that doesn't mean that the symbols has been deciphered. deciphered because, see, you, they, they are saying that there's 400, some says 600, some says 1,000, some says more of those hieroglyphic symbols. And they're trying to apply 26 letters of the English alphabet to 400, 600,000, 1,500, etc., etc., of those <laughs> metal hieroglyphic symbols. Now, if you take 26 letters of the alphabet 
and you try, uh, you can only get uh, uh, 250, not to exceed 275, uh, uh, 200, uh, 2000, I'm sorry, 2,750 words out of, right. out, of, out of those letters. Now, can you imagine if you take, uh, if you take that same analysis and apply it to these, uh, to these hieroglyphic symbols, it'll go up into the millions. These are going to let Europeans bluff you and fool you and jive you and tell you that they have in, 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 uh, 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 deciphered the hieroglyphics. No, 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 no. Uh, uh, and then uh, the, the third thing, I mean, I'm sorry, the, the sixth thing you have to understand, that where are they coming from with they're supposed to decipher the hieroglyphics. There was, a, there was a German scholar by the name of Adolf Ehrman, and who was the curator of, of uh, ancient Egyptian antiquities in the Berlin, Berlin Museum over in Germany. He came out in 1880 with the world's first grammatical dictionary of the hieroglyphs. In 1924, they revised that in 1935. They revised it again. You see? So this is where, from Adolf Ehrman's uh, uh, grammatical dictionary of the Bible, I'm sorry, grammatical dictionary of the hieroglyph, this is where uh, E.A. Wallace Bush gets his uh, so-called understanding of the hieroglyph. You see? This is where Alan Gardner got his understanding of the hieroglyph from Adolf Ehrman, the German, uh, so-called Egyptologist from Germany. And, and uh, he got it in, with the help of, of, of uh, Carl Richard Lepsius, his teacher over there. And then you have uh, James Henry Breshtit from the University of Chicago here in America. They all teamed up to say, as a, using as a consensus, that the hieroglyphics have been deciphered. But now, any time an individual going to insist that the hieroglyphics has been deciphered, I want you to ask one question of them. You ask, you ask them this question. Are you saying, sir, that the hieroglyphics, metanational hieroglyphics, has been deciphered? And they say yes. Then you ask this one question, based on what? And don't say nothing after that. Anytime you ask that question or a question to an individual you want to answer, stop talking after you ask the, ask the question. Okay? Based on what? You're saying that the, the, that the metanational hieroglyphics has been deciphered based on what? And then you let them, uh, you just look at them while they squirm, you see? And then I've, I've been, uh, uh, been challenged along the, uh, I've had uh, different uh, scholars in the African community and the lay persons in the African community asked me, she said, well, Dr. Whitman, if you say that the hieroglyphics has never been deciphered, where are you getting mayot from? And I'll give them my answer. You know what the answer is? Mayot is a word and not a symbol, and the argument is over with. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, in terms of... of, of uh, because we only know that I'm familiar with archaeology and, uh, and, and how they do business. I'm familiar with them cataloging. So I'm familiar with that's all they did and itemized and cataloged 
the symbols and took pictures, and basically that's it. They don't, no, no interpretation. But in terms of, we know that only even the uh, metal natural writing was only found in certain walls and certain kings and so forth. Now, in terms of demonic and heretic, is this where Europeans were able to see that this were, you know, do the scrolls of Alexander and so forth, that these people were dealing with math and science and so forth? No, you see, you got to understand about the Malachite Coptic Egyptians. You got to know all that whole scenario over there. Okay, when the Greeks came into Egypt, who was running the government of ancient Egypt? Those Malachite Coptic Egyptians, that you can call as uh, be known, uh, you can call them bourgeois. You know, the higher upper echelon in the ancient Egyptian government. You know, people like uh, Condoleezza Rice and. Colin Powell and Clarence Thomas and that higher echelon up there with the government, you know. So they are your 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 your, your bourgeois. Were your bourgeois? So they ran the government of ancient Egypt. So when the Greeks came into Egypt and they began to flood in there, and so they eventually just took over. You see, and uh, uh, so our ancestors. Uh, history were, were kept by the Melkite Coptic Egyptians all the way until they uh, built the world's first Christian church in Constantinople, Turkey, called the Church of Hagia Sophia. Constantinople is known as uh, uh, Istanbul, Turkey today. Over there, you'll find the Church of Hagia Sophia, which is now a, a museum no longer a church because the seat of Christianity started there and the seat was transferred in the 15th century over into Europe, over on the outskirts of Rome where they built uh, over the catacombs uh, uh, the Vatican and St. Peter's Church. But that, that goes into another history. So uh, to, to, your, to answer your question, it was the Melkite Coptic Egyptian keeping all of our ancestors' uh, history intact. Okay, and so forth. That's how we are able to know certain things today. And over there in the Vatican, as I speak, uh, they have a Coptic museum over there and a Coptic library. You see, because when the Ottoman Turks uh, under Muhammad II took a cannon and blew a hole in the wall of the double-walled city of Constantinople and entered Constantinople that way and seized the Hagia Sophia, which they made it into a, a mosque. On my book, the Historical Origin of Islam, uh, there's a picture of the Hagia Sophia. And you see those three minarets uh, standing there. That's another history. But anyway, uh, 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 prior to that, this was in uh, 1453 when when uh, Romad II entered the double walled city of Constantinople and seized Constantinople because Constantinople was the the last stronghold of the Byzantine emperors. So in 1439, 14 years um, before Mohammed II uh, entered uh, Constantinople, in 1439, John VIII went to Florence, Italy. It's a courier there that I was mentioning earlier, and he relinquished uh, the seat of Christianity by relinquishing what is known in history as the Donation of Constantine. That's in my book also, The Historical Origin of Christianity. So, but anyway, 
by him releasing the donation of Constantine, making way for the seed of Christianity to be moved into uh, to Europe. Before during that fourteen years time span before uh, Mohammed II entered the double walled city of Constantinople, uh, the Europeans was taking boatloads because that that uh, church of Hagia Sophia not only was the first Christian church on earth, it was also the first European institution, and it was, it was staffed. Uh, the institution was staffed by African scholars, and the first uh, papa, the first pope of that church was Pelagius, an African, okay, that was appointed by Justinian, who built, uh, had that church built in 532, and they finished in 537. But anyway, the Europeans were coming out and taking boatloads of, of, of scrolls and manuscripts and artifacts and so forth and so on. They took it back into, into Europe and took it back into the area that is known as Rome today. I'm sorry, as known as the Vatican today. And that's the reason why you have... Over there in the Vatican, you have a, a Coptic Egyptian museum and a Coptic Egyptian library. So that's that's where they get this stuff from. <laughs> thank you, sir. Thank you. I got one more question, and then I'm going to yield to my other guest to this question because I don't want to take too much time. Um, can you go into the Punic Wars and Carthage? Okay. Uh, the Punic Wars. Is, is, is described to have been written by Herodotus. There's never been a Herodotus. And I'm going to tell you why. And I'm the only one that's out here saying this. This whole Herodotus. Herodotus, like I said, is supposed to have been ascribed to have written the, uh, the, 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 the Persian War or the Punic War, etc., etc. Now, there's never been a Socrates who was supposed to be a teacher of Plato. There's never been a Plato who was supposed to be a teacher of Aristotle. There's never been an Aristotle who was supposed to be a teacher of Alexander the Greek. There's never been a Herodotus who was supposed to be uh, 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 the, the historian for the Europeans. There's never been a Euripides who was supposed to have written Greek tra- tragedy stories. Uh, there's never been a Salon. There's never been a uh, Hippocrates who's supposed to have been the father of medicine. There's never been a Homer, uh, uh, 8th century, 9th century Homer, who's supposed to have written the Iliad and Odyssey. Now, let's use what I just told you a little while back about the Greeks not having an alphabet. The question that Walter Williams asked, if anybody insists on that was the Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Herodotus, Euripides, Salon, uh, Pythagoras, uh, Homer, etc., etc. The question that I ask is that what alphabet did these Greek names use to write with? Because the Greeks had no alphabet. All these names are prior to Alexander the Greek coming into Egypt, and our ancestors forcing that. Their Greek language on ancestors and our ancestors, being a literate people, learned that language and applied an alphabet to it, which is called the Greek alphabet. So the question is, uh, what alphabet did they use to write with? So therefore, you'll find that the, uh, the writing that's ascribed to uh, Herodotus, which is the Punic Wars, or the, the Persian, 
biblical mythology and so forth and so on, ascribed to as being written by Herodotus, it's based off of misinformation. In other words, a lie. So that's that's what I'm saying. They never had no alphabet to write with. So there's no Herodotus. Hello? Thank you. Yes, yes. Now, in the details of that lie, because is is so Hannibal never existed, sir? See, Hannibal, huh. Hannibal goes back. If you go into Spain, let's go into Spain. In Spain, off of the Mediterranean is a little town called uh, Carthaginia. Okay? And then they'll tell you that, let's go to Africa now. Let's go, uh, uh, they have a, uh, they have a country in Africa, which is next to to Libya and Egypt called Tunisia. That is called Carthage in the Bible. That's the biblical Carthage. So our scholar uh, who wants to, you know, find something of substance to make us feel good as a people said that this Hannibal came from Carthage in Africa, which is today called Tunisia. So go back to that little seaport town off of the Mediterranean in Spain called Carthaginia. Okay? Now, this is where uh, Hannibal Bacar came from. Okay? Now, listen to this story. Now, if you, if you what I'm about to tell you, if you believe that, then there's <laughs> nothing I can do for you. Um, they said that this Hannibal had a hundred and thirty some odd infantry men. That, that means men who were walking. They had he had a hundred and twenty some odd uh uh men riding horses. Okay? And that he had forty elephants. And that he went from all through Spain all through France with all these men now and the elephants and horses and all up into the Alps. The Alps is very cold up there. And uh, elephants are warm-blooded mammals. They cannot stand uh, cold. And uh, see, uh, 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 elephants eat like an elephant. They eat grass. They eat greenery. There's nothing green up in the Alps but snow. And then from the from out of the Alps, Hannibal came down into Italy, uh, into Rome, and invaded and took over Rome. Now, do you believe that story? Where is the where is all these men getting food from? Where is all the horses getting their water and food? Where is these elephants getting food from? The story. If you listen to the story. Just use your analytical mind and say, "Well, no, I, I don't understand. I, I can't, I can't accept that. It doesn't sound right to me." This is the reason why I said there's no Hannibal. Thank you, sir. I uh, rest my time. Uh, the rest of the uh, host can go ahead and ask questions to Dr. William. Thank you, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. 
You know, that was, thank you very much, Brother Mickaround. And you know Brother Mickaround be back time and then. Um, okay. And what is your name? I'm Brother Bourne. Brother Bourne. Bourne. Yes, sir. Okay, Brother Bourne. Yes, sir. And um, hold on one moment. I want to see if our if our sister host is here on the line. Let me see if this is our sister host because we love it. Uh, BB Fodier, sister Camille, is that you out there? Uh, Black Power, BB Fodier. All right. Well, uh, but, uh, Dr. Walter Williams, this is our sister co-host, uh, Sister Camille, who is uh, she can tell you herself. She's definitely a, a fan of your work. Um. So I know she has a lot of things that she has to ask, but the one thing that I I do have a question on is when you when you spoke on the uh, metal net shirt, what would what would be the consensus on the heretic and the demotic? Um, being that we have so many so much history of Kemet, is that where we're getting some of the his the writing um, records or, or some of those things? Um, have they been deciphered the demotic and uh, heretic? heretic? The hieratic demonic alphabet is, 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 is only an alphabet that we are using today. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's calling uh, the English alphabet. That's where the, see, the hieratic demonic alphabet is your world's first alphabet created by our ancestors, the ancient Egyptians. Okay? okay? And from that hieratic demonic alphabet, because it's, it is a phonetic alphabet, see, what you mm-hmm. can do with phonetics, you can do a lot with phonetics. For instance, if you ask me how do you spell pseudepigrapher, I would say, uh, uh, brother, uh, use your phonetics, how mm-hmm. it sounds to you. And you you start writing down pseudepigrapher using the sound of the word pseudepigrapher, how it sounds to you, and you begin to write it cursively or, or, mm-hmm. or phonetically, you see. So that's uh, uh, what is another thing that's very important. That you have to understand. Oh, uh, all right. And, and the only reason I asked this is because once you spoke on the metal nature, people, you know, um, the the uh, the thought is that well, if metal nature hasn't been deciphered, then how can we have understanding about what, what was going on inside of Timid? But the thing is, is that there was a lot of the a lot of the writings were in the demo, in the demotic and heretic, which is um, something which is the alphabet. Correct, you're absolutely right. See, those Melkite Coptic Egyptians who 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 were the only Coptic Egyptian that were allowed to have any type of institutions because uh, totally one like he closed all of the ancient Egyptian sacred temples down because uh, the, the 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 Coptic Egyptians in the in the sacred community did not accept his image as a god, so he closed all the temples down and confiscated uh, their manuscripts and so forth. But uh, these Melkite Uncle Toms of the uh, Coptic Egyptians, our folk, our ancestors, uh, they allowed them because uh, they uh, ran the government of ancient Egypt, and they allowed, these Greeks allowed them to continue, and they provided institutions for them, or a building for an institution, So, and, and that building, they kept, say, let's say, uh, for uh, 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 something that you can understand, they kept records of our ancestors' uh, culture and civilization. So that continued on until uh, they built the high, uh, uh, Church of Hagia Sophia in 532, finished in 537 under under uh, uh, under the, uh, the command of Justinian I and his wife Theodora. You see, and and that's where those all those manuscripts were housed in that uh, Hagia. Uh, Sophia, 
the Church of Hagia Sophia and institution. See, so therefore you, like I told you about, they came in there uh, in the in the 15th century and took boatloads of uh, those manuscripts out and took them over in, 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 the, in the Vatican Library and the Vatican Museum. All right, but, but thank you very thank you very much. Um, uh, we have we have some other questions. I know that the um, sister has uh, some questions on misnomers in history. Okay. Uh, sister, sister Camille, and then after that we'll have our other co-host, um, Brother Rahe Ru, and our other host, Brother Little. With Sister Camille, go ahead. Hello. Be recording. Uh, Bibi Yes, uh, Dr. Walter Williams, I want to thank you for giving us your time, and I want to thank you for your contributions to freeing our minds from our mental enslavement. Um, the historical origins of Christianity and Islam have uh, changed my life. Uh, I, um, Someone that has studied some of the works of uh, the great master teachers like Dr. Ben, Dr. Clark, and John G. Jackson. And it was the first time when I came across your work where I felt like I got real specifics dealing with the origins of these religions of perversions. You know, I had never heard of monophysites or, or diaphysites until I, I read your work. And I just want to thank you uh, for that. And and dealing with the misnomer is something that had rocked me in um the historical origins of Islam, which I found very profound and, and changing, uh, 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 where you showed how we've all been lied to. And, and, and the elders that I mentioned, I found this in some of their works, where the lie about, uh, quote-unquote, uh, the Egyptians who now are called Moors or the Melkites who are now quote-unquote Moors came into Spain, 711 A.D., and in your work you... Um, do a beautiful job of breaking that misnomer down and also uh, giving a date of 1051 right. as to when these Melkites came in. And, and so if you could elaborate that, elaborate on that for the family, because a lot of people don't know of that. And I want to thank you for uncovering that information. You're welcome, my dear, and thank you for even having the consciousness of uh, trying to expand your knowledge. Thank you. Uh, now, we're getting back to the Moors. See, the word more is a nickname. The word more, by it being a nickname, meaning that you had these uh, Coptic Egyptians uh, coming from uh, Morocco and Mauritania. That's where the name more come from, out of Morocco. And crossing the Mediterranean into Spain to bring civilization to the uncivilized heathen uh, Spanish-speaking people. So that was in the year 1051. Uh, I just, in my book, like you said, I dispel the 711 because the 711 date is a setup date. They're trying to establish uh, Islam being uh, brought into Spain by Sarasians, or uh, that's what they're calling them. But now. In 711, you see, that's near the date of, uh, of the time of the flight out of Egypt by way of tradition or traditional Islamic scholarship. They're saying that in, 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 in 570, this Muhammad was born in Mecca. 622, that he fled Mecca uh, 
going to Medina. And on his way there, he met an angel by the name of Gabriel. And that this angel Gabriel uh, was passing on the words that God wanted Muhammad to pass on to, to mankind. And by Muhammad being an illiterate individual, that he learned the words what uh, the angel Gabriel was teaching him and saying by way of mnemonics, which means by memory. And he dictated what the angel gave, uh, Gabriel gave him to ascribe, thus creating to Quran, uh, that's all not true. Okay, so uh, uh, getting back uh, to what you are saying about uh, I'm trying to uh, oh about about the Moors in 1051. Uh, the Moor is a nickname. A Moor is nothing but a descendant of the ancient Egyptian. But in, in, the, in the 11th century, 1051, that, that they use and apply the word more to the descendants of the ancient Egyptians. Like they apply the, uh, the descendants of the ancient Egyptian more today as being Negroes. You see? So uh, there's a book, an old book that I have here, written by Theodore P. Ford. And in this book, it was published in 1939. It's called God Wills the Negro. He says that the ancient Egyptian vanished and the Negro appeared. Get it? So uh, I've had to add, not only did the ancient Egyptian vanish, but the Moors uh, vanished and the Negro appeared. So in other words, uh, the ancient Egyptian the Coptic Egyptian, uh, the Moors, and the Negro is one and the same. That's where we are today. But now, they came into Spain in 1051 to bring civilization, what they did, into Spain until Ferdinand and Isabella hired a navigator who had a ship by the name of Christopher Columbus to take them out of Spain in, 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 in the 15th century, 1492, beginning in 14, really 84, because of racial and religious reasons. So the, the Moors came over in this hemisphere with uh, Columbus, and they settled over here, and they brought civilization. This is the third spot on Earth, the United States of America. It's the third spot, uh, place on Earth where our ancestors brought civilization to. First, it started in ancient Egypt, over in Africa, from that culture of ancient Egyptians. And the second uh, uh, point of civilization was in Spain. The third point of civilization was in this, this hemisphere here of North, South, North America and South America, the Americas, you see. So uh, does that clear up anything for you, sister? Absolutely. You know, I, I just wanted the family to, to, to hear it from uh, the expert. And another thing that if you could elaborate on, we had um, an elder on the show who had said that the Old Testament was written 800 B.C. Now, he said this, I had already finished reading your origins of Christianity, trying to be respectful. I, I did not uh, refute it as hard as I could. 
And I would like for you to elaborate because I've heard Dr. Ben speak on this, but he uses a key word which I learned from you, which was tradition. Okay. Tradition does not mean historical. Correct. Absolutely. You're right. Now, you're asking me about to give you an overview on the historical origin of, of the Bible. Well, well, this is okay. I mean, I, mean, I want to, because... Your work shows and proved that there was no Old Testament at 800 B.C. That's correct. There was no 800 B.C. Uh, the only people that had a writing system on earth was the ancient Egyptians. And they never wrote, no, they never wrote a chronology of, them, of their history. They left us an immortal legacy in stone, uh, in monuments, in papyrus, literature on papyrus, art. Etc. Uh, Etc. Et you see, and, and they're the ones that created the alphabet. The the the, uh, the alphabet uh, and uh, mathematics. All forms of what we're using today in the civilized world came from that one culture. You see that? So no, let's go back. In 800 BC, there was no only one person on. Uh, one group, like I said, could, could, could write. Only, lit, only literate people on earth, that was our ancestors, ancient Egyptians. So let's take that 800 B.C. and just throw it in the refuge camp. Get it out. Okay, that's wrong. It's a misnomer. Okay? And I heard Dr. John Henry Clark uh, here in Chicago come up on the podium at Kennedy King College one evening. I went to a lecture. And he said, first thing out of his mouth, he said, we can no longer allow anybody to bring misinformation in our African community anymore, no matter how much you like them. They can't do it. Don't. So anybody who brings misinformation in our community, if I'm around, I'll stop them. You know. Um, but anyway, getting back to the Bible, you got to understand when the seed of Christianity moved out of Constantinople. Constantinople is Istanbul, Turkey today. Constantinople was in northeast Africa. The building is still there, the world's first Christian church called the Church of Hagia Sophia. Today, that church is, I'm sorry, that church is a uh, museum. It was built at the request of Justinian, the Byzantine ruler at the time, and his wife Theodora. They commissioned African architects and African scholars to design and build that church. And also they had an institution in that church. Okay? And I have to tell you all this to tell you so I can get to the Bible. Setting it up. Um, so uh, from that institution, it was housed by African scholars. And... Uh, the first papa of, or the pope of that church was an African by the name of Pelagius, appointed by Justinian. But that goes into another history. Now, when that church or the seat was moved out of uh, Africa into, uh, on the outskirts of Rome, over the catacombs, Eugenius IV and Nicholas V uh, dug up all those bodies from the catacombs and made way for the building 
of St. Peter's Church, known today as St. Peter's Basilica. Are you are you with me? Hello. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, uh, now, by that time, or prior to that time, in 1437, Johannes Gutenberg created and invented a printing press with movable print. Now, Johannes Fuss, a capitalist over in that area, um, uh, loaned money to uh, uh, Johannes uh, to, to, as a loan at a high interest rate. Okay? So Gutenberg couldn't pay that loan back. So Johannes Fuss confiscated that printing press. So you had a printing press over there in Europe in the 15th century, but what happened, the masses of people in Europe could not read or write. And this is before the coming of and during the time of the Renaissance era. You see? Because the Renaissance era was just beginning to kick off, 1400s. Okay? So Johannes uh, Gutenberg had invented this printing press with movable print where you can print up thousands of pieces of literature and books and so forth and so on, but you, no, nobody was over there in Europe that could read them, only a handful of people. See? So now here you have the seat of Christianity being moved out of, uh, out of northeast Africa, out of Constantinople, out of the Church of Hagia Sophia over in Europe. Now what's over there at the Vatican now, the Vatican... Uh, and the Roman Catholic Church was the only uh, religious entity uh, during that time on earth, you see, that had a religion that's known as Christianity, you see. So therefore, uh, the Catholic Church did not have any written literature for its object. Its object is Jesus the Christ. So what happened in, in long story short, in 1475, now listen to this, sister, 1475 was the coming of the first printed Bible on paper. Uh, it was, the Bible was printed in Italy, in a city called Bologna, Italy. It used the Greek alphabet to print that Bible. That Bible was formulated to be printed by three Europeans, Johannes Ruslan and uh, his two Italian counter uh, peers, which was uh, uh, Pico della Marandola uh, and, uh, uh, and uh, another uh, Italian scholar, his name is escaping, my, escaping me at this time. But anyway, Pacino, I'm sorry, Marcello, Marcello Pacino. Fortino, Marcello Fortino, Pico della Marandola, and, and uh, uh, Johannes Ruslan. They collaborated on uh, the creation and the printing of that Bible. See? And uh, they, they called it the Hebrew Bible at that time. So let's go back. 1475 was the coming of the first printed Bible on planet Earth. Where was it printed? In Italy. Where about in Italy? The city called Bologna. What alphabet was used to print that Bible is known uh, as the Greek alphabet. Whose material uh, did they use to print that Bible with? Moses Maimon, 
called Maimonides. Okay, they used his material to to make up that Bible. Who used that material? Marcelo Pacino, Pico del Marandola, and Joseph uh, and uh, Johannes Ruslan. Those other three who collaborated on uh, producing that Bible, and they called it the Hebrew Bible. This is 1475. That was 30 years after the Roman Catholic Church had been uh, 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 building being built over there on, on the outskirts of Rome, over the catacombs, 30 years after the Roman Catholic Church. And here comes the Bible, 1475. You see? It's called the Hebrew Bible. Now, uh, what happened was that the, the Roman Catholic Church did not have any literature for its object. The object was Jesus the Christ. They didn't have no literature for him. So that made uh, those popes, uh, the Pope over there at that time uh, mad because here you have a Bible out there talking this religious talk, okay, which is uh, geared to uh, uh, this Judaism as a religion, but had nothing for Christianity as a re- uh, religious literature. So in 1500, Pope Alexander VI commissioned a homosexual by the name of Desiderius Erasmus to create for the Roman Catholic Church literature on the object of Christianity, which is Jesus the Christ. It took Erasmus, who was a playwright at the time, an ex-Roman Catholic priest at the time, 1500, he was a playwright. He wrote three plays, uh, uh, The Adages, uh, Praise of Folly, and Inceridium. Those are his three uh, plays. Yeah, uh, you can... Look him, look him up in history, and all this is what I'm saying. You can find exactly what I'm saying. But anyway, uh, it took him 16 years to come out with what is known as the Novum Instrumentum. That's in 1516. In 1519, they changed it from the Novum Instrumentum to the Novum uh, Testamentum. In 1535, they changed it to the New Testament. But when he came out, in 1516, he came out with three Gospels called uh, and known in history as a, as a synoptic Gospel of Mark, Matthew, and Luke. They always tell you that John came later. Are you following me? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So John came later. Okay? And, 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 and John did come later in the King James Version of 1611. That's when the fourth Gospel came about. But getting back to Erasmus' writing, he came out with those three synoptic gospels, or called it's called Q literature or Q literature, okay. And he also uh, not only did he create uh, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, he created one and two Corinthians, one and two Peter, Galatians, and Epistles to the Romans. He he contributed nine manuscripts to uh, the twenty-seven uh, manuscripts that's in that Bible today. You see, and uh, so. Uh, 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 Almost 100 years later, in, in 1611, uh, uh, Lancelot Andrews, an uh, English theologian, and his group of the other theologians, they formulated and created what is known as the King James Version and dedicated that Bible to King James. You see? So that gives you a little uh, uh, overview on the beginning of the Bible. I can I have other uh, information on where the Bibles came from. But just so 
Bible, the first printed Bible on planet Earth was 1475. And this is, as I gave you, that's how it came about. And then if you, if a person, uh, if you write this down uh, so you can look it up on your computer or go to the, um, go to the library and look in the set of the new Catholic Encyclopedia, and you'll find the Pfefferkorn Ruslan Controversy of 1510. You see? Pfefferkorn is spelled P F E F F E R K O R N. Ruslan, R E U C H L I N, Controversy of 1510. I tell you every. Uh, a lot of this stuff, what I'm telling you now, go and look up the, the Pfefferkorn Ruslan controversy of 1510. It will, really will expand your knowledge. Will do. And uh, just so, so far, Dr. Walter Williams, um, fact-checking uh, the historic, historical origins of Christianity, you have not been wrong. I, I haven't. I haven't seen it, Dr. Walter Williams. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I try not to be wrong because I want to give right information to our community. And I don't want to give, put out no misnomers or no uh, lies or anything like that. I want to tell you the truth. And I can only do that if I do my, my own personal homework before I come out and open my mouth about it. Thank you. And uh, one last thing I don't want to take up all the time. I just want to know, because from what I'm seeing, right, from my studying, it appears to me that, and I want you to know, let me know if this hypothesis is off base. You know, you mentioned how Herodotus wasn't real. And I'm, it appears that that Renaissance period, while we were in chains, while they were raided in Africa, am I off base in holding the theory that they were writing these histories up at that time? Uh, what, what histories are you talking about now? The Book of Herodotus. I mean, he wasn't a real entity, so somebody had to write that. We see how, as you showed in your work, six hundred years later, after the time of Muhammad and the created creature Muhammad and the created creature uh, Jesus the Christ, who comes from Serapis, they're made up histories. You know, they were formulated. Yeah, see, the the, the made up pictures that you're talking about came out of the Renaissance era of Europe. Right. So I'm wondering, did they do the same thing with these lies regarding? Uh, Aristotle, yeah. Plato, Socrates, you know, who wrote the time instead? Well, here's what you have to understand, sis, is this. Mm-hmm. Number one, by the Europeans not knowing a beginning history of themselves. Okay, that's number one. Number two, they couldn't, they, they couldn't read because they had no alphabet to read or write with, so they had no institutions in Europe until... Uh, the 15th century. Mm-hmm. Okay? So now, what do you do? Here, here you have an institution, but you have no heroes in there. So you create your heroes. And the, the answer to your question is where did these heroes come from? They came from apocryphal writers. The word apocryphal means writers of unknown authorship. You don't know who they are. See, it's just like uh, now I can I can count from the first five books 
of the Old Testament. Moses made Mormon called Mormonides, created what is known as the first five books of Moses. I can account for the first nine manuscripts, written manuscripts of the New Testament. This is this Erasmus, who wrote uh, uh, the three synopsis, the Gospels of Mark, Matthew, and Luke, uh, 1 and 2 Peter, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Epistles to the Romans, and Galatians. I can uh, tell you where the fourth gospel came from uh, of the King James Version created by Lancelot Andrews and his English scholars over there, creating this Bible for the King James, you see. So the other manuscripts that's in there, all came from apocryphal writers over the period of time. And and, and, and all these uh, different names. See, the Europeans coming out of the, in the Renaissance era uh, of, 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 of age of learning, like I said, the Europeans only had institutions for 615 years. That's it. 15 years up to the very moment that I'm talking to you. So now, where are they getting all these different names? They have created these names to put in their institutions to give them an illusion to the world masses of people that they had a civilized uh, civilization that is uh, equal to the ancient Egyptians. They, no, they can't do that. So that's the reason why they create all these chronologies for the ancient Egyptians. The ancient Egyptians never wrote a chronology themselves. They created another uh, biblical chronology for the for the uh, for uh, for, uh, for that. Biblical chronology, you see, and so forth and so on, coming out of Mesopotamia and so forth and so on. See, so they are the ones that's creating all this stuff. Here's what you have to understand this, sisters. The, the Europeans used our ancestors' foundation to create an institution, using that foundation to build themselves an institution on. Every building that you see around the world today, has a foundation to it. You don't see that foundation, but you see the actual building on that foundation. See? So therefore, um, the the building that they built on our ancestors' foundation was built off lies, deceit, murder, injustice, corruption, greed, uh, uh, terrorism, militarism, sexism, racism, Slavery, exploitation, religion, mythology, and perverted scholarship. That's their foundation. So that would be my answer to you. It came out, these stories that you see floating around in Western academia, uh, 99% of them came from uh, uh, Western academia by uh, apocryphal writers being writers of unknown authorship, you don't know who they are, using uh, incarnated names to do that. So don't go, don't, don't be fooled by what is known as the Greek classics or the Roman classics. Greek and Roman classics mean stories written in literature only about Greece, about the Greeks, about the Romans, you see? And they create, not only do they create literature in Greek and Roman classes, they create artifacts for it, okay? And institutionalize 
uh, these artifacts, oh, this is going to a Greek exhibit, so forth and so on. So people come in and think that Greeks were, 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 were a, uh, a civilized people. That's my answer, my dear. Thank you so much, Dr. Williams. And uh, again, my love to you and your wife for dedicating your lives to free our minds. And family, thank you for allowing me to uh, speak and ask questions to Dr. Walter Williams. And thank Black you, my dear. Love you. That's a beautiful yeah, um, And that was our sister. That was our sister guest host, brother Rahe Ru. Are you out there? Baby Fahodier, Glory to Garvey, Harriet Tudman, Peace to Night Turner, Nida B. Wells, Long Letter Spirit of Dr. Khaled Muhammad, and Franny Luhama. How you doing, family? Motto Tepa, Baba Walter Williams, it's an honor to be able to speak to you. Sounds to speak to you in the Al Hotel, my brother. Thank oh. you. I'm forever a student of your work. Well, so, brother Hey before you before you go, I just wanted to I just wanted to get the time constraint on on Doctor on Doctor Williams, what 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 was your time for no problem, um, brother? I'm okay. I can flow with you as long as you want to flow. Uh, all right then. You know, I just I just wanted to ask, so I, I didn't want to have to rush through the callers or whatever or whatever have you. Go ahead, brother Rahiru. Okay, I'm forever a student of your works. Uh, like the sister stated before, for me personally, your works has opened my mind and has freed my mind from the chains of mental side, mental enslavement from religion, and I thank you for that. You're welcome. Without, you, without the, uh, the hard work of you and your wife, uh, I don't know if I would be the person that I am today. So uh, I'm more than – the words can't even express, you know, how it makes me feel to be able to speak to you. Well, thank you so much, and it's a pleasure speaking to you, young man. There was a, a, a lecture, and also in the historic origins of Islam, where you were breaking down how the Quran took 40 years to be written by French Jews and I just wanted to know, could you go in a little bit on that for me? Uh, whether uh, Quran, about the origin of the Quran, today's Quran, is that yes. what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Okay. See, you have to understand there are two, uh, when a person asks me about Islam, you see, there, there are two uh, histories that's connected to Islam, okay? One, the first one was Mohammedanism. Right. The second is today's Islam. And you have to go back to the Ottoman Empire and study the Ottoman Empire. And you have to study Ibn al-Arabi. That's all in my book, The Historical Origin of Islam. Now, uh, getting back to who created the Quran, it was those uh, Jewish scholars coming out of France from the AIU, Alliance Israelite Universal of Paris, France, came over in Syria, which is Northeast Africa, misnomer today and called the Middle East. And they created for the Arab world a Quran in 1870. They began to, to write that, uh, that today's Quran. And they were collaborated with uh, uh, Christian scholars also. And because today, in today's Quran, you'll find two sets of written literature inside, sitting inside of today's Quran. You'll find, interspersed inside of today's Quran, you'll find the Pentateuch and Psalms, Jewish writing. Inside of that Quran today, you find interspersement of Christian writings, the four 
Gospels, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, and so forth, and John, and other Christian writings inside of that Quran. Okay? So they created that Quran, those Jewish scholars coming out of uh, Paris, France, AIU, Alliance Israelite Universal of Paris, France, 1870. Now, uh, the year after World War One had been won by the British by toppling the Ottoman Empire, British, uh, World War One was uh, was uh, uh, was started in 1914 and ended uh, four years later, 1918. So in 1919, uh, the Arab world uh, accepted that Quran that was created by. Uh, Jewish scholars and Christian scholars, and and that was in 1919. And uh, seven years later, the world's first meeting in Islam's history in 1926 was called by the new elected prince, uh, king of Arabia, a king who was made king by the British government. Abdul Aziz al Saad. He called the first meeting in Islam's history, and that's in my book. I, give, I put the minutes and everything in there from that meeting in 1926. You see? So uh, one has to remember this. Uh, the, the, the traditional story says that this Muhammad was born in Mecca in 570. He fled Mecca in 622. He met the angel Gabriel, who passed on words from God, that the words that he passed on to the, uh, Muhammad was words from God that God wanted Muhammad to pass on to mankind. Muhammad was an illiterate man, so therefore he had to memorize by way of mnemonics, which is memory. And he memorized the word of uh, the angel Gabriel, and he dictated those words to a scribe, and they created uh, a Quran. That's what tradition said. That's not true. Because in today's Quran, like I mentioned before, sitting inside of today's Quran, you have interspersement of the, the Pentateuch and Psalms in there, which is Jewish writings. But in, the, in, the, in, the, in 622, which is the 7th century, there was no Jews and no Jewish writing or uh, no Old Testament or no other religious right. Now, in 622, you had Christianity was out in the world, but they had no uh, written literature for the object of Christianity, which was Jesus, the, which is Jesus the Christ. Until Erasmus came along, the homosexual came along uh, after being commissioned by Pope Alexander VI in 1500 to write something on the object of Christianity, and he created what is known as the Novum Instrumentum. You see, in 1535. They changed it, I'm sorry, in 1519, they changed it to the Novum Testament. In 1535, they changed it to the New Testament. It seemed like I said, he added uh, uh, six other manuscripts to the three that he originally came out with. One and two Peter, one and two Corinthians, Galatians, and the Christians of the Romans, you see? So therefore, that's interspersed inside of today's Quran. See, so if you know history, you can break, you can refute all of that like I'm doing now. So that's how today's Quran came about, by way of those Jews, scholars coming out of uh, uh, Paris, France, 
the Alliance Israelite Universal of Paris, France. Thank you, Baba Williams. I appreciate that very much. Okay. Uh, my next question would be, um, there's a lot of talk, you know, amongst uh, the community when looking at the Rosetta Stone. I don't know if you answered this question already or not. Mm-hmm. But when looking at the Rosetta Stone and those that say that Champollion deciphered, when I look at the ancient Coptic writing and then I look at ancient Greek, they are identical. So I was putting together that the fact that they have never been able to decipher it based on that and the books that we have today is basically a translation of that of the ancient Coptic and ancient Greek. Well, you see, I I, I, I had answered what you were asking me now earlier in the program. I don't know whether you was listening or not, but I had answered it uh, already. But let me go over it again with you, uh, and I'll try to give you a a short overview overview as best I can. But anyway, um, do you have my book, Historical Origin of Christianity? Yes, I do. I have it right here, sir. Okay, on page 146, I'm telling you why the metanatural hieroglyphics has never been deciphered. You see that? Yes, I do. Okay. Well, then, if you read, but you read it and you study it, like on the back of my book, on the back cover of my book, I said, read this book more than once until you can internalize the, the message. You see, I want you to read it, understand it, and internalize. Keep reading it until you really can get the message of what I'm saying in the book, you see? No, and, and then uh, I was telling uh, the listening audience that my wife and I, we're bringing out our third book called Dispelling Myths of Ancient Egypt, and we have a, I have a chapter in there, uh, which is a continuation of why the metanational hieroglyphics has never been deciphered. And then in that particular chapter, I'm, I'm talking about the rebus system, you see? I'm bringing that to our community about the rebus system of how uh, these, these uh, Germans created a, a system that they call the rebus system and, and trying to say that they have deciphered the hieroglyphics. But that's how uh, uh, read my book and I'll explain that when the book comes out, it'll be explained. But no, the hieroglyphics has never been deciphered. And like I uh, mentioned earlier, um, that if an individual say that the hieroglyphs has been deciphered, you ask him one question. Based on what? And don't don't say nothing else. That. Just ask that question. Based on what? If you say the hieroglyphs has been deciphered, they're going to say, yeah. Then based on what? And they can't give you anything based on anything. It's true. You cannot, you cannot take symbols and put an alphabet to it. Symbols can only be explained if you know the meaning of the symbols. You've got to know the meaning of the symbols. It's like in, in that, the book that you have in your hand. I got on there, and that, you look up there, you see a question, that question mark symbol there. Hello? Yes, sir. Now. On what page? On what page? Go to 146. Okay, I'm on 146 underneath the appendix. Okay, look over the next page, 147. You see a, a symbol, uh, the question mark symbol there? Yes, I do. It says, can you assign a phonetic alphabet value such as to the letters T, M, P, K, and R, etc.? To the question mark. The answer is no, because the question mark is telling you something to do to question. That's correct. So therefore, when, when, when 
since you know the meaning of the question mark, when you see that that that, that sign or that symbol, it's, uh, you know right away that, uh, that 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 symbol is there for you to ask questions, right? Correct. So therefore, you have to explain the meaning of that. Let me tell you to put. Let me put it. Say you put no alphabet to it, like when you went to get your driver's uh, license at the, uh, uh, to take your driver's test. You was tested in three things: rules of the road, eyesight, and symbols. When you got to the symbols part, they ask you to explain the meaning of these particular symbols that they're showing you. Now they didn't. They didn't ask you to put an alphabet to it. They asked you to explain it. You see. So. Um, that that would be my answer to you because I I really went over this more in depth than what I'm doing now. But you know, since you got the book that that tells you uh, explains a lot of things that I'm saying about why the men in the hieroglyphs has never been deciphered. And then also on page 147, you see that the symbol that I drew on that page. Yes, to illustrate my point, I will draw a symbol of my own creation. Kind of looks like ram horns. Right. Now, in order for you, I drew that symbol, right? Right. Do you know the meaning of that symbol? No, I don't. Who do you have to ask? I would have to ask the creator of the symbol. I would have to ask you. That's correct. That's that, that's another reason why the Methodist hieroglyphs has never been deciphered, because they, the, the Western academia trying to put an alphabet to a symbol. Okay? In order for you or anybody... To know the meaning of those symbols that our ancestors drew in ancient Egypt during the time of antiquity, you would have to ask what you have to ask the ancient Egyptian what he or she meant for those symbols to be. You understand that? Yes, Baba. Hello. Yes, Baba. Okay. Do you, do you understand what I'm talking about, brother? Yes, I do, Baba. Okay, you got it. You know. Thank you very much. My last question would be, um, do you ever plan on doing any work with Ashwa Kwesi and his wife? I think if uh, if you, your wife, and Ashwa Kwesi and his wife got together and put together a, a lecture and a book as well, that that would be an amazing thing for people, and the knowledge in it would be so vast and so beautiful and wonderful. Uh, I just wanted to put it out there. Maybe you know, the ancestors and put the energy behind it, and maybe that could happen. Well, I, I know um, me and Ashwa Kwesi are friends, and his, my, and his wife, uh, Barack Ra, uh, when he comes to Chicago, my wife and I, we meet him, and uh, we take him out to dinner and so forth and so on. So we uh, have never got to that point of what you're saying. So that, that would be a good idea. But, uh, you know, that's a, that's a good idea is the only thing I can say. Just putting it out there. I mean, right, okay. Happen, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, you got it out there. I hear you loud and clear. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate I... you, Baba. I love you. I love you dearly. Okay, and I love you too, young man. I love all of my African uh, brothers and sisters. I really do. Yes, sir. Brother, um, and uh, we're just going to keep on moving. Uh, I'm going to ask her a question or two later on, but I just want to make sure that the audience get in. Brother Little. Is, is my brother Little out here? Black Power. Black Power, brother Little. Go ahead. Um, it's your time with our with our theme host, Baba, Baba uh, Dr. Walter Williams. Any questions or comments for the brother on misnomers in his? Yeah, my I'll tap to the um, Dr. Uh, Williams. 
May I hold up, young man? Uh, sir, I'd like to know about uh, the cracker beast, Irene, and her husband, uh, Leo the Kazar. Repeat that uh, again now. Repeat that again. Uh, I'd like to know a little bit more about the uh, the cracker beast, Irene, Empress Irene the Kazar, and her husband, Leo the Kazar, and uh, the iconoclasm um, that uh, she introduced on the, um, I believe, what was it, the seventh uh, or the second uh, Council of Nicaea? Yeah, second, uh, Nicaea two, second Council of Nicaea, 787. Yeah, well, I go, you have to, You do you have my book, The Historical Origin of Islam? Black Power, yes, sir. Okay. Uh, you have to go back to Philippicus. Philippicus was uh, 711 to 713. He was a usurper that usurped, uh, and, and and put himself into power uh, in the Byzantine Empire, made himself a Byzantine, Byzantine emperor. Uh, Constantinople was the was the uh, capital of uh, of the Byzantine Empire. Constantinople, all this is in northeast Africa in, in Turkey. Uh, it was a double walled city uh, put up there by Constantine in uh, the year 330. But anyway, uh, they were usurping each other so bad over there that uh, Philippicus took upon himself to have his portrait painted and put all over the double-walled city of Constantinople to let the people living within that confine of the double-walled city that he was the new emperor. Okay? Now, every on uh, uh, every uh, pope that sat on the throne in the Hagia Sophia was appointed by uh, a Byzantine ruler. And uh, Gregory was the African. They were all Africans until the seat moved out of Africa, Northeast Africa, into Europe. And you had beginning white folks and so forth and so on. But anyway, Gregory, because they had an argument, the argument had been going on for hundreds of years over whether this Christ that we know today as Jesus of Christ had a human nature. The monophysite said that this Christ only had one nature, which was an Osiris-like spirit, but no human nature. And at the Council of Ephesus, is when in order to have a human nature, one has to be born through the body of a female. So at the Council of Ephesus in 431, the African uh, divine triad, and he took Isis out of there, and he created a created creature called the Virgin Mary and gave this created creature, the Virgin Mary, the attributes of... Isis and the Melchite Coptic Egyptians took this created creature, the Virgin Mary, uh, and amalgamated with this created creature, Serapis, at that time. With, uh, when this amalgamation was done between the two created creatures, and they also gave this created creature, the Virgin Mary, the title of Theotokos. The word Theotokos means the mother of God, and they amalgamated these two created creatures together, thus supposedly giving this created creature 
a human nature. And they say, now this is the Christos because those Greek, uh, those Coptic Egyptian, uh, 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 Egyptians over there, Africans over there were speaking Greek. And so when they said, now this is the Christos after the, uh, the amalgamation was made, uh, speaking Greek, and the, uh, the Christos in Greek and in English, it means now this is the Christ. So that's how that Christ came about. So now the argument was still going on. It went on for 921 years, okay? Um, so when Jesus got in there, he had his portrait, picture of himself, painted and put all over Constantinople to let the people know that he was the new ruler because they were usurping each other so fast. So that by him doing this, it gave uh, this African papa a pope who was uh, uh, the patriarch of the Hagia Sophia, the bright idea to paint a picture of Christ and put all over Constantinople to, to try to end the argument or the polemic between the African monophysites and the African diophysitic Christians. The Melkites. Uh, so that's how that went about. So now, this was in seven, uh, between seven eleven and seven thirteen. In seven eighteen, uh, Leo the Third took over as the Byzantine emperor, and this picture infuriated the Monophysites. The feud was still going on, so he said, "I, I can't have all this bickering." Uh, while I am the Byzantine ruler, so he had all those paintings of this Christ image taken down. And he had two African brothers, one, Constantine the Black, and Thomas, to draw up a decree that is known in history as iconoclasm, meaning the breaking of the image. See? So now, um, a long story short, his his son, after 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 after, uh, uh, after uh, Leo died, his son Constantine the Fifth created the seventh council, the Council of Hyria, and I, that's in my book, The Historical Origin of Christianity, and that Council of Hyria. Um, uh, that's the first time I, when I did my research, first time I ran across anything like that because I don't hear no other scholars out here talking about the Council of Hyria. But anyway, he kept intact what his father had uh, uh, put in, in, into place, meaning the breaking of the image by this decree that was drawn up and created by these two African brothers, Constantine the Black and Thomas, uh, which is called iconoclasm, the breaking of the image. Okay, so when he died, his uh, his son took over the Byzantine emperor post, and he is known as Leo the Fourth. And his wife was the Empress Irene, and Irene let uh, other uh, members in the Senate who was running uh, the government of, of, of Egypt. 
Syria and Turkey influenced her to have her uh, her husband assassinated. Yes, we'll kill him and make you the ruler of the Byzantine Empire. You'd be Empress Irene because they had a ten-year-old son. He was too young to run the empire, so she ran it in his place. So they killed her husband. That's how she became the Empress Irene. And she called the Eighth Ecumenical Council, known in history as the Council of Nicaea II, in 787. And uh, in that council meeting, this Christ was made a god. And also angels was created as an intermediator to if you want to talk to God, this Christ, you have to go through one of these angels and so forth and so on. So that's, uh, that's, that's called, that Ace Council meeting is called uh, the Iconoclasm uh, Ecumenical Council meeting of Nicaea II. That's the overview on that. Woo, see, that was powerful. You're the one and the only uh, people I've ever heard that information from. Okay. Well, it's out there. Yeah. If you pay much, was there another question that you had for the? No, 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 sir. I gotta read this book and just uh, like, like you know, like you said, I gotta get it to heart. So um, I got homework to do. Black power to to my hotel, Doctor Williams. May I hotel, young man? Love you. All right, well, listen, I'm, I'm coming to the line, and so, family, when I come to your line, um, please have your questions ready. I'll be hitting the lines in order, so just make sure that your question is ready, and, I, and I'll open it up, and you guys just come on in um, and ask your, your question or comment for Dr. Walter Williams. Uh, Sister McKeer, that's you out there, Black Power. Um, Black Power, um, I really didn't have no questions, but, you know, it's an honor to... You know, hear you three speak, Doctor Walter Williams. Well, it's an honor for you to even speak to me. I appreciate you <laughs> and love you. I love you too, Black Power. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the family is on listening to the Bible, so we're gonna go down the line. Uh, let's see here. Uh, AK Dream. Like power, welcome to the Welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio. Um, Dr. Walter Williams, you got a question or comment? All right, they're just listening. Like power, be recorded. Welcome to Feet on the Ground. Question or comment for Dr. Walter Williams. State your name. Question or comment. Hey, that brother Nahisi. What's going on, boy? Dr. Williams. Um, I was just sitting back listening, brother, and Brother Williams, I really appreciate the information that you bring to us. Thank you. Thank you. That's all I had. I'm just sitting back listening, brother. Thank you, Brother Boyne. Where are you calling from? Columbus, Georgia. Okay, Columbus, Georgia. And where was the young lady calling from, uh, brother? Uh, the, she was calling from um, Texas. That was that was the call from um, she out there in Fort Worth, Texas. Oh, wow. Yeah, we got them from a couple different places. Well, thank you very much, Brother Nahisi. We're going to put you back on hold. Uh, Brother Mikarai, if you did have a question, you could chime on then while I go down the line of any other uh, 
or Sister Camille, if you thought of something on during the time that we go down the line. Uh, really, I was just really trying to, uh, you know, get the platform for questions for anybody who has a, you know, nice overview of history who may have any misnomers that may be floating in their mind and so forth, you know. But um, the, the doctor is very thorough. I think he handled pretty much in, in that aspect. But I did want to go back to um, uh, go back to my putting it down right here. Um, Jules O'Perk. Yes. Yes. Could you could you could you give a quick overview on Jules Opert, if you could? Jules Opert. Opert. I'm, I'm sorry, sir. Yes. Yes. Okay. Opert. Yeah, Jules Opert is connected with uh, Sumerian cuneiform, and my wife and I are writing in our new book coming out, the Sumerian cuneiform myth exposed, and we talk about Jules. Opera as one of the characters that had contributed the confusion to the cuneiform and the Sumerian myth. So uh, he is just one of the characters that's trying to support the argument and try to uh, create uh, the illusion about the Sumerian. Now, what I want to tell you about Jules Opera, he claims for himself, he claims that he named uh, those characters called the Sumerians, he named them Sumerians. He's the one that created that name. You see, so I just want to bring that out. So that's uh, what I can say about Jules Opera. Uh, when my book comes out, you can read more on the subject of what we're talking about, the Sumerian cuneiform myth exposed, because there's a lot of a uh, lot of information in there, a lot of scholarship, new scholarship that you know, people are not talking about. Thank you, sir. I can't wait for that to come out. I can't wait for that to come out. Thank you. Okay. Yes, sir. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna go down the line. Uh, let's see. South Texas, in line open. You got a question or comment for uh, Dr. Walter Williams? Going once, going twice. South Texas. Uh-huh. Yo, Black Power, Black Power. Uh, 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 pardon self, Brother B. May I ask a question real quick? I got one of my uh, peoples over here. I want him to hear this answer. All right. Uh. Uh, Bob uh, Williams, uh, my hotel once again, sir. This is uh, Brother Little. May I hold up to you, young man? Um, I, I got my people over here, um, and I would like you to um, explain just real briefly on um, the role of Shakespeare and why uh, and Queen James in the Bible. Why is Queen James relevant in the Bible? Why did they use that version and um, and the role uh, Shakespeare uh, played in it as well? Well, let's go. Let's deal with Shakespeare. They, there was a debate some years back between a scholar from Harvard and a scholar from Yale University, and they used a retired Supreme Court justice as the judge for their debate and argument. One scholar says that there was no 
another scholar said that was. So anyway, they presented their their argument papers or their polemic papers to the judge, and he read them, and he came up with the conclusion as a draw. So there's a doubt that there ever walked a Shakespeare. Now, some people I've heard through my studies that uh, you hear me talk about Desiderius Erasmus, is that correct? Yeah. Some say that he was Shakespeare. That See, Shakespeare is a name that uh, that one writes through. Mm. In other words, you can you can create a name for anybody. Like just a name. It's like, like what they call a pen name. Like what they call a pen name. A pen name. You write through that name. You 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 incarnate that name. Incarnate means that you make a body for it, put flesh on it by attaching a story to it. And you can give that name a death date, a birth date, a wife, or two children. Mother, whatever you want to do with it, you see? And if you put it in the Bible or put it in school books and you teach it to people, and they'll believe it, mm-hmm. you see, it becomes a lie. So uh, Shakespeare, uh, there's a debate about whether he existed or not. So what was your other question? Uh, Queen James, why did they use that version of the, uh, of the Bible? Well, see, King James Version came out in 1611, created by an English uh, theologian by the name of Lancelot Andrews, A-N-D-R-E-W-E-S, and his group of theolog- English theologians uh, created this Bible for King James, dedicated to King James in 1611. Uh, one of the most significant things about the King James Version is the fourth gospel came out. See, in Erasmus, uh, Novum Testamentum or New Testament that he produced in 1516, it was three gospels. See, today you have four gospels, Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. So when, when uh, uh, before King James Version came out, they say, well, uh, you got Matt, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, and they always tell you John came later, which John did come later in the King James Version. Uh, and, and, and John, in the, in the fourth gospel, that's where Jesus, the Christ, was a Jew. You see, you, you, you get your Bible concordance, and you look up uh, Jew in there, and you'll see where it leads you back to this Jesus the Christ becoming a Jew in the King James Version. So that's one of the reasons why it's significant. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you very much for that. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to go down here. we got an Illinois caller um, calling in. I opened his line up a second ago. It's like, like a little background noise. Can you Illinois. Illinois, I'm opening your line up, but you got a lot of background noise. If you could get this somewhere that's a little bit clearer, it would be better. Is that better? Yes, sir. All right. Uh, come on in, take your name, and ask a question or comment for Dr. Walter Wayne. I'm just calling in to make a comment. My name is Elijah, and I'm from Chicago, and I'm a student of Dr. Williams, and I just wanted to let him know I'm enjoying the show. Oh, thank you, Brother Elijah. Glad to have you on. 
Yes, sir. Myatt Hotel. Myatt Hotel. Yes, yes, I invited him. I told him I was going to be on today, and I invited him to come on as my guest. I'm glad that he's there. Thanks so yes, much, sir. Brother Elijah. Myatt Hotel. Yes, sir. You're welcome. Myatt Hotel. Uh, and we definitely thank the brother for showing up. Um, we're going to go down here to uh, Tennessee. Before the uh, Tennessee, welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio. Question or comment for Dr. Walter Williams. Just take your name. Peace, uh, Dr. Walter Williams. My name is Lex. I'd like to say hotep. May I hotep? Put the woman in there so you can have cosmic balance. May I hotep, uh, Brother Lex? Hotep, yes, my yeah, hotep. There you go. Okay. Um, I, I do have your book, The Origins, uh, Historical Origins of Christianity. I read it probably two or three times. Uh, it's a great work. Yeah. I would, yeah, two things I would like to ask. One, well, the, one of my questions I think you kind of alluded on, so I don't know if you want to go into it, but it was concerning the language they call cuneiform and the association with, like, Babylon, Assyria, and, you know, all those nations. I think I heard some lectures where I think you said that these places never really existed. So oh, that's kind of my – yeah, that's my first question. My second okay, question wait, is – Okay, wait, let's deal with that. Then you can go on your second. Okay, okay. Because I may forget <laughs> – I may forget what you said the second time. Anyway, um, that's all biblical literature. You cannot, see, the Bible cannot be used as history, okay? The Bible is not literal and cannot be used as history. The Bible is made of mythology, allegories, and metaphors. That's it. In other words, lies. If you take the word Bible, B-I-B-L-E, and you take the two Bs away, you left, with the I, L, and the E. You take the I and put between the L and the E, you got a lie. You know? <laughs> so what I'm saying, <laughs> what I'm saying to you, oh, don't use the Bible for nothing. Get mm. the Bible out of your life. You would do yourself a favor. Because that, you, you see, the Bible was written at truth. In an abstruse manner, the word abstruse, A-B-T-R-U-S-E, means written, something that's written on purpose for you, for you, the reader, to not to understand it. That Bible is written on purpose for you not to understand it. And that's the reason why Moses Maimon put out his book, um, Guide to the Perplexed. See? He knew that he wrote this, he wrote the first five books. Of Moses, so you cannot ever understand what was written in that Bible. It's confusion. So mm. I'm trying to get you out of the confusion. And once you discard that, you do yourself a favor, and you find your way back to ancient Egypt and claim your ancestors as being the ancient Egyptians, and find out what happened to our ancestors, the ancient Egyptians, after the Greeks and the Romans came to Egypt. You see, that's where you need to you study. Mm-hmm. So take that Bible out of, out of out of your life. Get it out of your life. It's confusion. What's your next yeah. question? My next question is um, there there uh, there's a lot of debate about the Bible in Egypt in terms of people saying people uh, the Bible's you know stories and stuff was stolen from Egypt. But after I read your book, would it be fair to say 
that the Melkite sellout Coptic Egyptians are the ones who actually started the Catholic Church and gave this information to the Europeans? Well, not like that. Not, not, not the way you phrased it and framed it, no. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the Melkite Coptic Egyptians in the world's first Christian church, the Hagia Sophia, built in 532, finished in 537 by uh, uh, African architects, arch- architectures and, and designers and who became the first uh, pope, patriarch of the Hagia Sophia, was Pelagius uh, I, who was the first pope of that church. And that church represented the West as well as the Eastern Orthodoxy, okay? And um, those Melkites were the first teachers in that institution and world's first Christian church. And they housed a lot of our ancestors. They were the ones that continued through the years after the Alexander the Greek came into Egypt and Ptolemy one closed all those temples down in Egypt. They were the ones that kept the history of our ancestors, the ancient Egyptians, as much as they could intact. Because the Greeks built them and allowed them to have a building where they can continue uh, to do this. You see, but the, the masses of, of of ancient Coptic Egyptians in the African uh, Coptic Egyptian community in Egypt, uh, their temples were closed. See, so this these Melkite group of Coptic Egyptians were allowed to have a building. And in that building, they kept as, as best they could the history of our ancestors intact as much as they could until they built the Hagia Sophia and they housed all these scrolls, manuscripts, and, uh, and, and, and art, and other artifacts in that particular church. And like I said before, when a Mormon too uh, uh, blew a hole in the double walled city of Constantinople, and entered Constantinople and seized the Hagia Sophia. Fourteen years later, John the Eighth had went into Florence, Italy, at the Curia there, C-U-R-I-A means college, and he relinquished that seat of Christianity to be moved into uh, to, into Europe. That was in 1439. He relinquished what is known in history as the Donation of Constantine that I speak about in my Historical Origin of Christianity book. And uh, uh, by doing so, uh, or during that time, these Europeans were coming in there taking boatloads of artifacts, uh, manuscripts, and other literature out and taking them back where they were building uh, over the catacombs on the outskirts of Rome, the Vatican. The Vatican, as you go, if you go there today, the Vatican is nothing but a replica of the double-walled city of Constantinople, where the world's first Christian church was held. See? Uh, and they, they and that church they built was called St. Peter's Church. And today, St. Peter's Church is called St. Peter's Basilica that was built in 1445. And they 
housed over there uh, the, uh, by, by the boatloads of artifacts, literature, and manuscripts and so forth coming out of the Hagia Sophia. He took them back in, uh, into Europe on the outskirts of Rome over the catacombs, and today over there they have a Coptic museum and a Coptic library to prove exactly what I'm saying. And this is what they have over there. So, um, so to answer your question, uh, you asked me, uh, did I think that uh, that these Coptic uh, male Egyptians wrote the Bible? Is that your question? No, did they? They basically were the ones who started the, you know, the the Catholic Church or no. were given the. Uh, Europeans, their religion, you know, in well, terms of... Yes, the, 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 the Melkite Coptic Egyptians created Christianity and they created the image that we know today as Jesus Christ. They created the whole thing. Right. See, so so when the seed of Christianity moved over there, uh, Eugenius IV and Nicholas V were the ones that created, created the Vatican over there by mm-hmm. digging up over the catacombs, those graves and so forth and so on, to make way for for the building of, of St. Peter's Church in 1445. You see, and they became your, your first European popes over there. You see? Wow. See, that, that's, that's how that came about. And okay. uh, so uh, uh, they, uh, they're the ones that did that. Okay, okay. Well, uh, thank you, Dr. Walter Williams, and I appreciate your work in uh, my hotel. They are hotel, young man, and thank you so much. All right. Thank you, um, Brother Lux. We're going to move on down the line. We're going to mute your line. Uh, we're going to get down here to our New York, New York, call the New York, New York. Your line is open. Welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio. Take your name and question the comment for Dr. Walter Williams. All right, New York is just listening. New York going once, going twice. All right. Uh, We'll close that line down. We're going, we got New York, New York again. New York, New York. The line is open. Uh, question or comment for Dr. Walter Williams. State your name. All right, we got a lot. We got a lot of listeners. Brother Baker. Oh, then Brother Baker. Oh, oh, there you go. His brother had his line on you. Here we go. There you go, Brother Baker. I said I'm just listening, brother, absorbing the knowledge. Oh. Yes, sir. Thank you very much for listening in. That's our, that's our brother Baker right there. We're going to go down here to Missouri. Um, Missouri, Black Power, Welcome to Feel on the Ground Radio. State your name, question or comment for Dr. Walter Williams. What's going on? Peace to everybody. Peace, Brother Bourne, and everybody in the house. It's D. Consciousness. Peace, Brother, uh, I mean, uh, Dr. Walter Williams. Peace to you, young man. Yep. Uh, I just. Uh, I'm listening to you, man. You know, some of it was some good information, but uh, I think that I see, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, I I see a lot of, you know, uh, African-centered concepts in there, but, you know, uh, I want to ask you this question as far as you talked about the cuneiform, and I think that's something that's real important, that's vital, because you said that uh, these people wasn't writing, I believe, you said, was it the eight, uh, 800 B.C. in that area? You said... 800 B.C. about? What's that 800 B.C. about? 
is that what you said? They wasn't writing about 800 BC, or uh, I don't know if I'm mistaken you in saying that. But what did you what would you what did you say to that? Well, I'm saying that there's never been a Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Herodotus, Euripides, Solon, Hippocrates, or a Homer, which was Homer. They said created the Iliad and the Odyssey in 800, which is the ninth century BC. I'm mm-hmm. saying that uh, the question I ask, if an individual insists that these names were real, live human beings, I ask the question, what alphabet did these Greek names use? Because the Greeks had no alphabet until Alexander the Greek came in in 332, which is the 4th century. All these other names are 5th and 6th century and 9th century. So... Alexander coming into Egypt in 332 in the 4th century, he forced the Greek language on our ancestors. Our ancestors, the ancient Egyptians, were the only literate people during the time of antiquity, which means ancient times. And they learned the Greek language and applied an alphabet to the Greek language. So the Greeks never had a language. I'm sorry, the Greeks never had an alphabet, but it was the Greek language that an alphabet was applied to. There's never been any institutions ever come out of Greece. Uh, uh, the institutions that came out of Greece started 615 years ago, okay? And that's not no B.C. time. So that's what I said about these. Uh, okay. Well, let me ask you a quick question. Do you know how to What was that? No. I can't hear you. You're breaking up. What you say? Your line is breaking up very badly. I don't know exactly what's going on, but it's very choppy. Do you, do you know where uh, Alexander the Great came from? And what? You said what now? Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Do you know where Alexander the Great came from and what would be the modern-day name for it? Well, uh, first place, I'm going to call no anybody that uh, came in and tried to destroy my ancestors ancient Egypt. I will never call them great. That's the reason I use the term Greek, Alexander the Greek. Okay, Greek. Okay, do you know Do you know where he came from? Both have come from Macedonia. Macedonia is in the Balkan area. And what's the modern-day term for it up today? Well, Bulgaria, Yugoslavia, Albania, all up in that area. That's your Balkan area. And okay. uh, uh, Macedonia is right there in that area there. Yeah, and it's Turkey, right? What's that? Turkey, right? No, no. Turkey is North East Africa. That's altogether different. See, Greece is is part of Europe. See, now Macedonia is right, uh, uh, north, right north of Greece, right there, sitting on uh, like a like a uh, uh, like you have a, a mantle or something like that, and that's called the Balkan areas of Europe. You see. So that's where a lot of Europeans came out of there after Alexander came into Egypt. They came from the Balkan areas of Europe, mm-hmm. Bulgaria, Yugoslavia, Albania, Hungary, and so forth, mm-hmm. down into uh, Egypt and, and all along those North African countries of Egypt, uh, I'm sorry, of Africa. Uh, Egypt, Libya is next to Egypt, going west, and Tunisia. Uh, Algeria, Morocco, Mauritania, those that's, uh, those countries where they came and started flooding in after Alexander. So that, that would be my answer. Macedonia yeah. 
is right above Greece. Mm-hmm. In the Balkan yeah. areas. Well, the brother line, the brother's line dropped. And I have a, I have a question, um, Dr. Williams, and one of the questions that I get asked on a regular basis, and I just wanted to get an answer from you, when dealing with leaving of these religions of perversion and going back to going, um, getting back to Africa, getting back to being African, becoming African-centered, learning about our story instead of his story, and um, I was, I would like to ask, what would be uh, the a spiritual system or or something that you would say uh, is a guide of the, you know, where the people say that they need some type of spiritual development, what what would you uh, lead them to or I would say with some of the African uh, type of systems that a person could deal with? Okay. The first thing I would do is lead you to your own personal humanity. Mm-hmm. You have to understand that first before you go outside of that. Mm-hmm. You got to understand what was given to you at the time of your birth, when you came out of your mother's womb, after being incubated in her womb for nine months, attached to her umbilical cord, and the doctor cut that umbilical cord to separate you from your mother, thus continuing life inside of your being. Okay, and you were given an indwelling, the divine spiritual birthright, okay, that's indwelling inside of you as I talk to you at this very moment. You will never, no human on earth was given a religion. Man created a religion, and man gave it to humans in order to control them. But if an individual walk up to me and say, I'm a Christian, I'm a black Hebrew Israelite, I'm a Muslim, I'm a, a Jew, a Buddhist, Zoroastrian, whatever man-made religion that they claim that they're practicing, they're telling me they know nothing about their own personal humanity. Know nothing about it. Now, so who are you? Who are you as a human being? This is what you need to know. You need to know about your pineal gland. What is the function of your pineal gland? Your pineal gland is a sensor organ that sits in the middle of your brain. It serves as a receiver between you, the human being, and your personal universe. Your personal universe is your mind, you see? And the bottom of your pineal gland are your nostrils. What do you do with your nostrils? You intake air to keep your indwelling spirit alive. So, so therefore, uh, people ask me, what religion do you practice? I said, I don't practice religion. Why? Because I was, I was born a spiritual human being. I don't need a religion. Everything that I need spiritually was given to me at the time of my birth. So if I understand who I am as a human being, know what I was given to to make me function as a human being, talking about your pineal gland is one of them. Uh, that, like I said, it serves as a, a conduit between you and your personal universe, your personal universe is your mind. In other words, if I cut your head open, I can see your brain, but I cannot see your mind. Mm-hmm. You've got 7 billion human beings walking this earth as humans of all races, creeds, and color. Every one of us live in our personal universe with your thoughts. Thoughts are things. Uh, you manifest things by thoughts. Everything around you came from someone's thoughts. I'm in my uh, uh, second bedroom now. I see furniture. I see 
pictures on the wall. I see mirrors. I see artifacts, and I see every rugs on the floor. Everything I can see in here, all created, come from uh, someone's mind, whether it's a male or female. Mm-hmm. See? Now, uh, you have to know something about your subconscious mind. See, where's your subconscious mind? Your subconscious mind is in your abdomen where your mother incubated you for nine months. It's in your stomach area. That's your feeling area. You, you, you receive hunches and ideas and, and things like that, and intuition and so, so forth and so on. So now here you have, and you've got to understand that singularly as a man by yourself, you cannot create anything with life in it. A female has to realize singularly by herself she cannot create anything with life in it. The male and the female has got to get together and 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 and, and, and produce and and uh, a sexual act in order to bring forth procreation. That's how you and I got here. You see, procreation. So these are. I'm just giving you a short overview on what the first thing you need to know before you can go off into anything. Mm-hmm. You already have it. So you talking about spirituality? You already have it. You were born with it, but you got to understand what was given to you at the time of your birth, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, who created you? Your your creator is your mother and your father. They are your creators. Who is your mm-hmm. father? He's God. Who is your mother? God is. Both of them had a sexual union, and they created you, me, and every human on earth, okay? Came that way, no matter what race, creed, or color that they, that they may belong to, but they all came from that same action of sexual encounter between their mother and father, and their father is God, and their mother is goddess. Yes, sir. Okay. Um, I thank you very much for that answer right there. You know, and I'm just, and and one of the reasons why I asked the question is because of the mannerism that we're dealing in, where we seem to be caught in personality cult or hero worship and things of that nature and not tend to go back inside of self first. So I just wanted to hear, you know, from someone um, of your scholarship on, on exactly how you see our spirituality. And, yeah. um, you were born with it. All humans were born with the spirituality. That's what makes us, makes us alive. That's our indwelling divine spiritual birthright. Mm-hmm. See? So, but you have to know something about how to use it. How to use yes, your subconscious mind, so forth and so on. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, we, we got a, another call on the line. Sister uh, Toya38, uh, your line is open. Uh, question or comment for the Dr. Walter Williams? Um, no, I'm just tuning in. I'm just listening. Let's go. All right. Where are you from? Um, Mississippi. Mississippi, okay. M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. Mm-hmm. That's one of the first words I learned in grammar school is spelled Mississippi. <laughs> and my mother, kept, my mother kept me from going down south. I was born here in Illinois, Chicago, Illinois. She kept, she wanted me to go down south because I, uh, I, I was hot headed and I may run over the mouth and get lynched down there or something. That's right. And, and I didn't go. I had I didn't go to Mississippi until I was a well uh, a grown man. And I was scared when I got the plane landing in Mississippi. I was fighting. I was seriously, I'm serious. I was fighting because I was looking for the Ku Klux Klan to come and get me. 
Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad you called, call sister. And thank you so much you for calling. You are my Well, brother, uh, Doctor Doctor Williams, the last brother who asked the question, his line dropped. And um, if if you would, if you would, if you would like to, I'll go back to his line to see if he had any follow up to what you were answering. Okay, where is he from? Calling from? He was calling from Missouri. Okay, get him on the line. All right. Um, Missouri, your line is open. Yeah, peace, peace. I'm sorry, I was I'm driving at the same time. Yeah, I was um I was asking you that because you what know did, Alexander. What did you ask me? Uh, I asked you. I asked you about um where was he from? You know, we know he's from Macedonia. We know he ruled uh, as far as one of the areas from Turkey down to Egypt and also part of the Middle East just as well, right? And the reason why I want to ask you this is because we have the cuneiform way before Alexander the Great. And the cuneiform... I can't um, don't call that man great. I mean, well, well you know what I mean. You know, Alexander, Alexander, Alexander the Greek, I'm sorry. Okay. We, we, so so, so we, we, we have it to where um, the guy was... Um, he came along, he, he ruled the area of where the Hittites was just as well, and also in the Levant area. And one of the things I wanted to bring out, because you talked about history and you talked about writing, right? Mm-hmm. That all in the cuneiform in the times of El Amana period, of the times of Akhenaten, which they got them dated to around about 1350 B.C., right? We have a correlation between different nations uh, dealing with the Hittites, this over in uh this over in Turkey just as well, and also in the Levant in the Middle East, also down in Egypt, and correspondence with these uh is being written as a written it it it's a written script. Well, on this written script that we have and this writing that we have, we have a correlation of nations basically doing domestication, trading, and also uh, doing astronomical dating, reporting uh, eclipses and stuff during this time just as well. Now, my thing is I want to ask you this because they have discovered uh, Indo-European languages that was uh, dealing with these cuneiforms just as well as been a correspondence with uh, the Levant area in Egypt. What do you say to stuff like that? I mean, because uh, we know that from the earliest times that these guys have been doing trading and domesticating as well as Egypt, as well uh, with Mesopotamia. What guys, what, are you talking about? what guys are you talking about? Um, far as when you deal with the normal palette, when you deal with the rosette, when you deal with the uh, the Lapazuni coming into Lapazuli coming into uh, I mean coming into Egypt in the uh, thirty five fourth uh, millennium BC. You know what I'm saying? We have all of this information of them trading, domesticating animals, just as well. We have uh, also uh, the Nile Valley going up to the Levant to get cedar from Lebanon. And we have all of these this information in the cuneiform among something probably like 10,000 tablets. What do you say to stuff like that? Because evidently somebody was writing. If I wanted to talk to you and we didn't speak the same language, the first thing we would do we would use pictorials, and then we would create an alphabet. You talked about they didn't have an alphabet, but I just named to you the area that uh, that they uh, that uh, that when he came from Greece into Turkey. But brother, hold on, hold on, brother. 
Hold on, brother. Hold on, brother. Listen, you've given a lot of information at one time. If you're going to ask the brother a question, but you can't ask him a question. I asked him. Hold on, 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 I want you to ask a question because you gave a lot of information okay. back and forth. So if you could just be concise with your question, you know, just so we can have something that's a clear question. I don't, you know, I don't want to have another commentary for five minutes. I want him to be able to answer a direct question. Okay. All right. So what do you say about that information that can they form, you know, that we have of these tablets? And then also that's my first question. And wait, then I got another wait, one. Wait, wait, wait. One at a time. My book is coming out. My wife and I wrote, is writing the book called Dispelling Myths of Ancient Egypt. The last chapter in the book is entitled The Sumerian Cuneiform Myth Exposed. When that book comes out, I want you to read it because there's a lot of information in there. That's number one about the, uh, the so-called Sumerian and the cuneiform. Okay, uh, that subject is a very intense, deep subject. And best thing for an individual is to read what my wife and I is bringing out on uh, the Sumerian cuneiform myth exposed because it's, it's a lot of deep, 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 deep writing in there, okay? Um, that's number one. Number two, uh, you speak about the Hittites. There's no Hittites because the Hittites come from Heath. It's all biblical now. Heath was supposed to be the son, one of the sons of Shem. That's where you get the, 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 the word Heathite or the Hittites and so forth and so on. So, you, everything that you told me is strictly biblical. has nothing to do with human history. That's number two. Number three, what you're telling me also is coming from Western academia by the way of supposed archaeology and archaeologists. Okay? Archaeologists' job is to take a Bible in one hand and a spade in another, and dig in the ground to try to find something in the ground that they can bring up to prove the Bible to be right and literal. That's what the archaeologist is about. Okay? And they have, uh, they have uh, fooled or tried to fool the whole world in doing so. What you speak about for, what you're speaking about is what the Europeans are trying to do to make them superior over our ancestors, the ancient Egyptians, okay? The ancient Egyptians did not write a chronology of themselves, of their history. They left us an immortal legacy in stone, monuments, art, and uh, papyrus and writing, okay? What the Europeans have done has created and, uh, uh, and I'm bringing it out in my book. They've created a chronology of ancient Egypt. They created it, not our ancestors, but they created a chronology of ancient Egypt 
based on the Bible. Because the first chronology that I'm printing in my book, I give a warning to all African scholars, teachers, intellectuals, and students, do not use the chronology of ancient Egypt as it's being written today because why? Our ancestors never wrote or created a chronology of themselves. The Europeans, in this first chronology that I'm presenting, came out of a book, an 1867 book, Egypt, in the chronology. And they're saying that the first dynastic king of Egypt was Mezram. In parenthesis, they have Menes. Now, who is Mezram? Mezram is what was one of the sons of Ham. Uh, in uh, and, and that made up the uh, in the Bible the family and table of nations: Ham, Shem, and Japheth, the three sons of Noah. That's all biblical mythology. So they said that the first pharaoh of Egypt was Mesram. They let the cat out of the bag, right there. And then as they went through the dynasty, they uh, at the end of each dynasty, they tell you where you can find what they just got through writing about uh, that. Uh, uh, ancient Egypt and that chronology that they created. They tell you where you can find it in the Bible all the way down. You see? So they created all this stuff. And they also, uh, the book Kingship and God by Henry Frankfort. that came out in 1947. In that book, he has a chronology of Mesopotamia. So now, here they are, and in that you find the Sumerians and so forth. In that. The Sumerians are not directly in the Bible. They are associated with the Bible and they're, and, uh, by, by using the names of Sinar and Akkad, the Akkadians and so forth. That's all biblical. So they created this, uh, this chronology of Mesopotamia. Now, these are the two chronologies. They created one for Egypt, and they created one for Mesopotamia. Okay? So, so, so in the one that they created for Mesopotamia, they're going to say the Sumerians had the world's, world's first form of writing. They're trying to knock our ancestors uh, out of the picture of history as being the only literate people on planet Earth by creating an alphabet. I'm bringing it so you can see very plain of what I'm talking about and what they are doing. Don't fall for that uh, and leave uh, and, and that and so forth and so on. Okay? And that's, uh, they're talking about ancient Egypt over there in that area. You're talking about in northeast Africa in that area, the Levant and so forth and so on. So the archaeologist's job has always been to take the Bible in one hand and the spade in another hand, and try to dig in the earth to try to prove the Bible to be true. They cannot do that because everything coming out of that Bible is based off of mythology, uh, uh, metaphors, and, 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 and mythology and lies and so on. Now, they have a scholar that, uh, from John Hopkins University by the name of William Fox Albright. Have you ever heard of him? Caller? Oh, hold on, hold on. I had to, he had some noise in the background. Caller, have you heard of the scholar? No, I, I never heard of him before. Okay, stop. William Foxwell Albright, 
died in around 18, I mean, I mean 1984, 83 and 84. And his students had a symposium on William Foxwell Albright. They said that he took the Bible in one hand and a spade in another hand, and he dug in the ground to try to make uh, what he can dig up out of the ground to prove the Bible uh, literal and to be true. And that, you know what they said about him? He failed. He floundered. He failed to do that. Okay? This is what archaeologists, that's their job, to try to make that Bible uh, and the stories in the Bible to be true. They had on 60 Minutes, they had a segment on 60 Minutes about a couple years back about archaeologists and so forth and so on. And uh, uh, they went to uh, uh, an art dealer in New York that dealt with uh, so-called ancient art. And he said that archaeologists are the biggest liars in the world. This is what he said. And I know I've been studying this stuff for for 40 years, and he's exactly right. So don't fall for all of that, okay? All right, my second question is this, uh, because, uh, you know, you, you talked about the Hattites or whatever, or Hatti or Hef, and Ooh. you said they come from, you talked about the Hattites, and you said they come from Hef, right? Uh, 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 you know, but we have the walls of Karnak. Uh, the, the Egyptians, ancient Egyptians, mentioned the treaty with Haiti. The walls of Karnak no, mentioned no, uh, no, the, the no, Hethites. No. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, listen, yeah, yeah. listen, listen to But me. I got a second question for oh, you, wait, wait, I got to say. Wait, hold it. Let me tell you something, what's just happening to us and the whole world. In 1922, the University of Chicago went into Egypt, and they built over there what is a, a white structure over there. They call it uh, 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 the White House over there, okay, that's connected with the University of Chicago. And they, they, and they have... Forensic artists, they have uh, uh, linguistic artists to come in and have all types of uh, archaeologists come in and all types of uh, other uh, scholars to come in over there. And what they have done over there, they have closed down certain temples in there. And they put on the walls what they want to put on there to try to make uh, the Bible literal. Don't fall for it. I went over nah, the walls of Karnak. The walls of Karnak. Hold on, brother. Don't hold on, brother. Hold on. Be respectful. Let the brother finish with his statement before you come in. I don't want to have to put you on mute while the brother talking. Okay, listen to this, young man. If you believe what you're telling me to be true, the only thing I can say, fine, go with it. I'm, 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 I'm wasting my time. Just a moment. I'm wasting my time and my efforts and my scholarship to try to tell you what they have done to us and what they're doing over there and have done to us. I'm trying to tell you, I'm trying to pull your coat to that. But if you go and want to believe them, what they say, go with them. Don't bother me. With that, we'll move on to the next caller because right we know this. Right, but we have to move on to the next caller because we know um, – I, I believe this brother will continue in that diatribe, so we'll we'll continue on. Uh, but thank you very much, brother Laurent, for the, for the questions and um, you know some some of the clarification that the brother just um, gave that Dr. Walter Williams gave for that. And as we and as we stay here on feet on the ground, uh, Bible Quran is um, Bible. We spell it B Y B U L L. It's a full bull. 
So you you know you might as well leave that to the uh, side, throw it to the ash can of history, and um, we'll move on. We got a, we got a few more callers, uh, uh, Bob Williams, and if we could, we just got two two more callers on the line, and then we can close out if that's okay with you. Okay, fine. I'm here. Hey, brother B, brother B, part yourself real quick. Uh, right. No shenanigans, callers. You feel me? Ain't gonna be no toleration wrong for the Bob when he on. No shenanigans. Black power. Black power. All right. Black power, welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio with Dr. Walter Williams. Uh, take your name and question or comment. Where are you calling from? Well, that was Georgia. That's North Georgia out there, and they're, they're a little quiet right now, but we thank North Georgia for calling in. Yeah, uh, let's see here. We got North Carolina. North Carolina, welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio. Uh, my hotel, we're Doctor, we, we here with Dr. Walter Williams. Question or comment, take your name. All right, well, that's the that's the North Carolina caller. We we went through our caller list. We had some callers in the chat room. And uh, I basically answered in the chat room new questions right there that we had going on. Um, one of the things that was asked, though, was about the uh, the Venetian creation of the Society of Jesus, a.k.a. the Jesuits. Someone was, was asking a, a question about um, the Jesuits. And, okay. Well, the Jesuits. Society of Jesus was created by uh, Ignatius and uh, Xavier during uh, what is known as uh, uh, the period that uh, Martin Luther created, the, the Protestant movement. In 1537, Ignatius and Xavier went to the Pope and asked for, for him to make and give them an order that will be connected with the Roman Catholic Church. It's 1537. 1540, he, the Pope uh, created an order for them that's known as the Jesuits. The Jesuits under Ignatius and uh, uh, Xavier were like the CIA of the Roman Catholic Church. They infiltrated among the Protestants who were creating the movement called the Protestant Movement. And they gathered information, they assassinated people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's the Jesuits. All right. All right. Um, well, you know, uh, the majority of these questions we don't have to even get into because we've already, uh, you know, you've already explained. Uh, go ahead, Tommy. I got one. Uh, uh, Doctor Williams, uh, a, lot of, a lot of people don't even know how to go about, you know, dodging a lot of these landmines that these Europeans are putting in our mind with curriculum. Mm-hmm. Could you give us an a, a, a overview, a, a starter kit, if you would, on how to go about doing solid uh, uh, research on anything you're doing or anything you're trying to learn? Well, Excellent question. Okay, that's a good question. All right, first thing you have to do as an African people, we have to start with the world's first and oldest civilized people, 
known in history as the ancient Egyptians. That's where you start. Start there. You study ancient Egypt. Study what our ancestors did as best you can. Know that they created the world's first alphabet. Know that they created mathematics. Know that they had a symbolic way of existence at one time. Okay? And also, let me tell you this. Nobody else is saying this. By our ancestors creating the world's first form of writing and the world's uh, 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 concept of what is known as mathematics and using symbols in, in, their, in their culture, they also created music for the very first time. They were the world's first musicians because they created music. If you see, I used to be a professional musician, a saxophone player. And uh, I studied music. And in music, you have what you have in music is the alphabet. And what you have in music, you have mathematics is in music. What you have in music is symbols. You have that. All makes up music. And they created uh, the instruments to play music. The first musicians on earth. So remember that. Our ancestors did that with the creation of the alphabet, mathematics, and symbols. Um, that's where you have to start first, okay? And study that, do nothing but study ancient Egypt, you see? Now, uh, you're going to have some trials and errors in there, uh, you know. So, but then, you know, I'm here to try to help you and guide you through and walk you through the progression of history and try to keep you from going off into the wrong direction, like I've been trying to do tonight, to tell you information that will keep you from going in, into a ditch or falling into a hole. And because Europeans have got this stuff out here very tight, and they've got the institutions out here to put this uh, myth, mythology and this Bible and all everything else they want to put out here, okay, for, for the masses of people to, to, to gravitate to and think it's real. They make they got millions and billions of dollars to make all this stuff real. It's an illusion. It's a big farce. Okay? It's an illusion out here. They created all of this. All because they're trying to support and keep white supremacy. The moment that you uh, uh say that you are an African ancient Egyptian, white supremacy is over with. Don't say that you're an Egyptian. Because those white Arabs that's over in Egypt now occupying our ancestors' homeland, they are Egyptians because they they, they born was born over there and they're over there. But in order for you to distinguish yourselves from them, you have to say that I am an African ancient Egyptian because that means that your ancestors are Africans that built that culture and civilization. I didn't say we're Africans. I didn't say we're, but are. We still are Africans. They... Uh, they built the Great Pyramid. They built it 490 stories tall with the base on all four sides, 756 feet on all four sides. They had an awesome mind, big thoughts, and they, the, 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 they built a sphinx over there. The body of the sphinx is one city block long, six stories high with an African face carved up there. So they, that's to let you... Us, the descendants, and the whole world know that 
They are Africans who created this civilization. So we have to go back to it. We have to stop calling ourselves Negro, Black, and African Americans. Because when you do that, every name that you call yourself, such as a Negro and a Black man and an African American, uh, there's a history attached to that. What's the history attached to Black, Negro, and African American? That means that your ancestors were enslaved in America. Those names can only take you in America, in the confines of America, can take you beyond the borders of the United States of America. But in, the, in, 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 in America, uh, we were enslaved in America. That's where those names take you. So in order for you to break through the walls of slavery, you've got to find your way back to ancient Egypt. You understand that? Okay. So now... Uh, that's the first thing you need to do. Second thing, you need to know European history. Okay? You have to know that Europeans do not have a beginning history for themselves. No, no. Don't have a beginning history. Everything that they put out here in their institutions is based off of mythology. Okay? I told you they have built themselves an institution of lies, deceit, murder, injustice, Corruption, greed, uh, terrorism, militarism, sexism, racism, slavery, exploitation, religion, mythology, and perverted scholarship. That's what they've done to us and the whole world, trying to make themselves into something that they never will be. Okay? And our ancestors, we as a people, starting with our ancestors, ancient Egyptians, for 2,000, 347 years to, 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 to the year 2000, I mean, 2015, 2,347 years we've been trying to give them and make them into a civilized people, and they refuse to do it because they don't have it in them. See? So you have to know that. You have to study European history. You have to study that the world's first, how they got history said out here, the world's first and oldest civilized people came from Africa, Egypt, 10,000 B.C. The second oldest people on earth is the Indians of India, 2,500, not to exceed uh, 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 300,000 B.C. The third oldest people is the Chinese, uh, 1,500, not to exceed 200,000. uh, thousand BC can't do that. So our ancestors are at the top of the list. So we have to know that. Know about other races of people. Study a little uh, Indian history, but you got to know the beginning. Study a little Chinese history. Study a little uh, 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 study European history, and then of course study our history. So if a person asks you, how do you know that your ancestors had the world's first and oldest civilization? You say because the answer is because they created an alphabet. They were the first one to have an alphabet. And whoever has the first alphabet is the oldest people on planet Earth. Because listen to this. History consists of five ingredients. Time, people, places, events, and literature. That's the five ingredients of human history. Time, people, places, events, and literature. You see that? You've got to have that literature in order to document the time, the people, the places, and the events. So you start there. You see? 
So, and then you can, then you can, things will clear up to you. But you got to know the tricks, what the Europeans have done to us out here in the whole world, trying to make themselves something. They created another mythology. They created Greek and, and Roman classics. The Greeks, Greek and Roman classics mean that uh, stories in literature about Greeks and about Rome, about the, about the Romans. Okay. They call it Greek and Roman classic, but but the stories that they put into Greek and Roman classic never uh, uh, happen in the literature. Only in the literature, not to know Greek and Roman people. They try to give them some type of semblance of being some some high civilized people. They do that by literature. That's one of their tricks. They use incarnated names. That's another trick they use. Incarnate a name, put a flush on it, put a story to it, put it in the Bible, put it in the school system, make people believe it with your belief. You give the Bible or any type of literature uh, life. Let's take the Bible. The Bible is a book that one has to believe in. If you don't believe in the stories in the Bible, the Bible is dead. People ask me, where did the Jews come? I say, it came from the Bible. It's written in the Bible. Okay. And the people who read the Bible make those stories. Like you take the story of Nebuchadnezzar, 587, went into, Jeru- into Judea and took the Jews out of Judea and took them into Babylon and put them into slavery. And they say, oh, oh, Nebuchadnezzar did that in 536. A, 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 a Persian king by the name of Cyrus II the Great went into Babylon and freed the Jews and sent them back to, uh, to, to, to Judea to build their second temple. Now, if a person believes that story, then they have created a Jew in their thinking and their belief. It's just a story. So these are some of the tricks. So you have to really get out here and study the, the territory of what's being presented before you and the whole entire world. So that's one of my answers. Excuse me, Baba. Uh, can you um, where you at it? Can you real quick uh, tell us who who's the cracker that created the uh, Mesopotamia, uh, Mesopotamia bit? Moses Maimon called Maimonides, coming out of the first five books of Moses. Moses Maimon. There's never been a Moses that walked on this earth. All right. And see, to to be scholarly, don't say crackers. They say European. Europeans, right? Then you want to, you know, you, you know, you can. I'm talking about when you speak it out of your mouth. You know, don't call names like that. You know, well, but I don't like them though, Baba. That takes you out of the honest with you. I don't like them though. I understand. I, I try to disrespect them every chance I get. I understand that, but you can call them Europeans and do the same, have the same effect. Mm, but, Europe, uh, can I do a European? <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I could go with that one. Bob, okay, I can. You're on PR. Okay, fine. <laughs> uh, I have a question for the Baba before you close out, and then I have a question to you, Brother Bourne. Uh, for the Baba, uh, Baba Williams, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, when your next work is, is complete, can we have you back on the show? Sure, you can. Thank you. And Brother no Bourne. Thank you. Uh, matter, matter of fact, can I add to that real quick? Uh, could we get you out in California? Yeah. Come and bring me in for a lecture, you mean? 
Yeah, at the uh, Caress Unity uh, Temple, I'm a member there. Uh, I'll speak to some people and see what we could uh, do to make that happen. Well, that's where that's where uh, brother uh, brother Reverend, Reverend Richard Bird. Uh, Mary Kara, yes, sir. Mary Kara, yeah, I go out there. All, every time I come to, to L.A., I, I, that's where I lecture at the over on uh, Western Avenue. Yes, sir. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm a member, and uh, yeah, we got we got to get you in there so I can meet you, take you out to dinner, some something like that. Okay, all right, no problem. I'm, every time yes. I come there, I go to uh, his place, and there's uh, the other place over there on uh, Crenshaw, and uh, what's the name of that place? Well, you talking about the um, what the um, the eat to eat at? No, not to eat, but on the lecture. The place on oh, Crenshaw. the lecture on Crenshaw. We have Crenshaw, Crenshaw or something. I'm not familiar. On People Center. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All of that around the same location. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would like to take uh, you and your queen out, get no some um, grub, and uh, you know, and, and let you lecture me and me, Mickey Ryan, brother. Hey, Ruth. <laughs> you know what you're doing to me? You want me to tell you what you're doing to me? What's that, boy? You are performing mental archaeology on me. And archaeology. How you, how you mean by that, sir? You, you, I've been doing it all night, which is okay. I'm, I'm not complaining. It's not a complaint now. And I love it. Yeah, we big. It's called what you're doing. When you ask me all these questions, I have to go, you are digging into my mind to bring up the answers. So you're doing mental archaeology on me. Oh. <laughs> I love that phrase. Nah. Yeah, definitely digging in the mind. You know what I'm right. definitely... digging, digging in my mind, which is okay. I'm not complaining. Love it. You know. So... Yeah, nah, that's, that's, a, that's a blessing. Uh, Brother Hayward, you said you had a question? I guess, uh, at the end, before you end the recording, I just wanted to read a passage from the brother's book. Oh, all right, all right, definitely. I'll, I'll definitely let that happen. And what happened was we got uh, – is that Brother Claus out there? Uh, brother Claus, is that you? No. Um, let me see if this um, – Before you go on, let me, let me give the listening audience my uh, email address. Yes, sir. Uh, write this down, ancient, A-N-C-I-E-N-T, A-N-C-I-E-N-T, ancient, Egyptian, E-G-Y-P-T-I-A-N, E-G-Y-P-T-I-A-N, ancient Egyptian, at msn.com. Repeat, ancient Egyptian at msn.com. Write me, uh, put your phone number on there, and I'll call you back, and we can go from there. Okay? Now, another thing. Uh, can you send me a copy of this program? Yes, sir. By email? Yes, sir. Okay, send it to me. I get, you got my email address? Yes, sir. Okay, send it to me. Okay, okay go ahead, brother. And I just wanted—I just have—I um, wanted to get this, this last guest in from Central Colorado, just so um, the brother can, you know, I, I see that they called in, and we just want to make sure that the uh, audience is appreciating it, and they called in for for the barber. So, uh, Central Colorado, um, Black, Power, 
My hotel, your line is open. We got Dr. Walter Williams. Question or comment and just give your name. Shin Hatep, family. This is Asarim Ka. I'm just giving uh, respect to Brother Walter Williams. Uh, <clears throat> as a Naku that's living, uh, we respect your work. Thank you. Uh, we love your presence, and uh, it's, it's always good to hear your voice. Thank you. It's same here. Love to hear your voice, and keep on keeping on what you're doing. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. All right. Love you, brothers, and I love your sisters. Yeah, the Always remember that. I, Walter Williams, love my African people, all my brothers and all my sisters. And so we go. We want your forward for this to be before Holy Day. Um, let me see. We're gonna put the email. I'm gonna put the email inside the chat room real quick. But um, if the brother Heru, brother Heru wanted to read the passage before we closed out, and then we'll close out for the night. But if we before we do that, um, let's go ahead and um, um, Baba Dr. Walter Williams. Is there any information anywhere that you're gonna be at? Anything that you got going on besides oh, yeah. your email address that you want to give out to the listening audience? Okay, I'm gonna be in Detroit, Michigan giving a three-day lecture there, three-day lecture series. I'm going to be there June the 5th, 6th, and 7th, the first weekend of June. I'm going to be at Nandy's Knowledge Cafe. I'm sorry, Nandy's Knowledge Bookstore and Cafe. Our address is 11225 uh, Woodward Avenue, Haven, Michigan. Nandy's cafe, uh, Bookstore and Cafe, 112-25 Woodward Avenue, Highland, Michigan. I'm going to be there June the 5th, 6th, and 7th. A Friday night, I'm going to, Friday evening, I'll be giving the lecture. Um, and then we're going to talk about your own personal humanity. I'm going to talk about who is this man called God. I'm going to, I'm going to break down the Bible. Um, going into different versions, giving you dates and things that's connected to this Bible. How it came about, who created it, and so forth and so on. Who, put it up, who was the first person to put the Old and the New Testament under one cover? What year? What's the name of the person who did it? Um... And we're going to talk about ancient Egypt. We're going to talk about why we should not call ourselves Negro, Black, and African American. That's on Friday night. Now, Saturday is a very, very important uh, uh, day. Uh, that will be June the 6th. I'm going to talk about uh, how the image of this Christ that we know as Jesus Christ today, who that image belonged to, how it came about. And I walk you through the uh, the 14 different Ptolemies, and I'll tell you about what uh, the word Sotar means, and how it got how this image that we know today is Jesus Christ got to be the Sotar. The word S O T R means Savior. And I'll talk about and take you into uh, uh, the Ptolemies, such as Ptolemy Five, Epiphanes, Eucharistos, who uh, married. Uh, the first Cleopatra in, in uh, 183 B.C. And I'll tell you about uh, the, the, 
the sixth and seventh uh, Ptolemy, who also had wives called Cleopatra. Explain all that to you. And then I go down to the fourth Cleopatra, who married the twelfth, thirteenth, and fourteenth uh, Ptolemies. And break all that down. And then uh, I'll talk about the secular community uh, in Egypt and the Melkite community and the Monophysite community. And I'll talk about uh, the Donatist-Kismetic controversy, the donation of Constantine, and the strong statement by Aris. And those three things that happened in history I just named brought about the Council of Nicaea, 1, 325. I'm going to break all the ecumenical council meetings down. There are nine of them. I'm going to bring you into, up into the world's first Christian church, how it came about. I'm going to talk about the three chapters, things that you never heard before. What's the, what, is the, what, is the, what is the meaning of the three chapters? All this has something to do with the creation of, uh, of, of Christianity. Okay? I'm going to talk about the Hinoticon. Okay? I'm going to talk about um, uh, the monothelitism. And one, which is one will, monarchy lit is one energy. I'm going to talk about uh, ecthius, the ecthius, and so forth and so on. I'm going to talk about the typus, um, and so forth and so on. I'm going to bring you into uh, these councils. I'm going to talk about Philippicus. I talked about it a little today. I'm going to talk about, I'm talk about how iconoclasm came about. And, and, and about the uh, Empress Irene. I'm going to talk about the Council of Hyria, one that no one's talking about. I never heard nobody talk about the Council of Hyria. Then I uh, never heard no one talk about uh, uh, the Ninth Council meeting, the Council of, 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 of Economical Council of, of, of the Focius Philoquy controversy, and tell you who, what, it, what do they mean by the Philoquy, and so forth and so on. So we're going to have a, a, a day of learning there. And then the, the Sunday, I'm going to talk about when, how, and who brought Christianity and Judaism into Ethiopia. See, a lot of people are confused. They're saying, they're saying that uh, the first uh, Christians were Ethiopians. That's not true. It's not true. The first Christian uh, in the whole entire world was the Melchite Coptic Egyptians who created the Christ at the Council of Ephesus in 431. But that goes, I have to explain, I want to explain all of that, you see. And, and they, they got to understand that in the middle of the 19th century is when the Church of England came in and brought uh, Christianity into uh, Ethiopia or Abyssinia. And in uh, uh, 1860 is when uh, the same Church of England, who had a branch in that church called the uh, CMJ, uh, Church Missionary Judaica, who brought a Messianic Christianity into the Gala tribe and turned the Gala tribe of Ethiopia into the Falashas that we know today and how that came about and what role uh, the AI Alliance Israelite Universal, AIU, what role they created into bringing uh, Judaism into what is known as Ethiopia to the Falashas under Joseph Halibi, and so forth and so on. And we're going to talk about all that. Jacques Faithlovich, all these uh, historical uh, names that we should know uh, know about in our community. And see, uh, I'll give you dates. If you, in order to be a historian, you have to know dates. If you don't know dates, don't you're not a historian. Then you're just talking barbershop talk. So that's going to be a very exciting weekend coming up June 5, 6, and 7 in Detroit, Michigan. Yes, sir.
everybody. Um, definitely get out there uh, for the Michigan family out there. Definitely um, make your way to go see uh, the Baba, Dr. Walter Williams. Uh, sounds like a proud, sound like a proud pack week. You know, definitely a strong three days, a nice long weekend for the family. Uh, I'd like to make sure that y'all know that uh, we'll be back on um, this Thursday, Think Tank Thursday, which will be 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we'll have our regular slaughterhouse Saturday, which will also be 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Um, this Think Tank Thursday, uh, we'll be dealing with, We'll be dealing with uh, several different things. I have a, a guest um, supposed to be coming on. We don't know for sure, so I'll make sure that that information is updated tomorrow on whether or not we have a guest coming on. If not, we'll have our regular Think Tank Day, which is always going to be, which is always a blessing. I'd like to thank from from the family here on Feet of the Ground. We'd like to definitely thank Baba Dr. Walter Williams for coming in tonight. It's been a pleasure. And, um, as the brothers already asked, you know, at any time you can always come in if you just felt like down the line, want to talk to some young bloods and see what they're talking about. You're always welcome. You know, the call on in on a Tuesday, Thursday, or Saturday, which would be 8.30 your time starting out. But um, we definitely look forward to bringing you back when, um, when once the um, book comes out. We, I know I plan on getting it. Uh, uh, the rest of the family, we're avid, we're avid readers, and definitely, um, you know, not only fans, but I would say we're we're friends and brothers and sisters in in the journey of getting our people free. So we also study history as, as you know as best as we can, and, and we're glad that you were on to also give us some study um, tidbits, some, some guides, and some habits for us to utilize and bring it forth. Uh, a better African perspective for the people. Correct. And uh, I certainly appreciate you all having the awareness that you uh, have, and, and I, I appreciate what you're trying to do. That's the reason why uh, I don't mind talking. I, I talk to my people all the time. I don't mind doing that because this is what I've been studying for 40 years to do, to pass this information on to my people, okay? But just, you know, uh, whatever you learn from me, just give me credit for it, you know. Uh, that's all. And yeah. you, you can have it. It's free because I uh, learned it. I, I spent my money, spent my life, my time, my eyesight, my health, everything to try to bring information to our community to try to uh, liberate them. I can't liberate you. You have to do it yourself. But I can mm. give you the information to do that. See, so if you can... If I can give you something to help liberate you, fine. That's my job, okay? And what I'm giving to you, I'm giving to you free, not causing you a dime. Mm-hmm. So I don't make no living off of our community, okay? So I've been in business for over 50 years. So, hey, I don't need to make a living doing this so often. So, on. so uh, I'm glad to do it. Why? Because I love you and my people. I love you guys, and I love my African people. Uh, in love the you too, Baba. So, yeah, we love you too, Baba. We love you too. Okay, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, love you too. Marry you and your wife. Okay, thank you so much. I and we love all of you all. Uh, and I'm saying sincerely, and you know, so just take it, take it like that. And I'm glad to be of any help that I can help you guys uh, and guide you. Fine, you know, whatever you think that. Uh, 
have, I'll give it to you. No problem. Free. Yes. You know, like that, see. So anyway, uh, uh, you did your mental archaeology for me. <laughs> yes, sir. <bro>. You know, <laughs> Which is great. Which is great. The archaeological, <laughs> we appreciate the archaeological dig that we had today. Right. You know, we put on a good dig here, family. We had a, a, a excellent piece of the uh, planet to look into. You know, um, it, it, we definitely thank the, uh, the the Bible for coming in and letting us dig into his mind, right. you know, and, and give forth those Jews that can only be mined from a certain from certain spot, you know. And that's what I'll I'll say. You know, and, and, and Dr. Williams, he's already done the work, so he's already had the pressure put on him. So when we mining inside this, inside this work right here, we're pulling up nothing but diamonds, uh, rubies, emeralds, and things of that nature. All kind of goodies. Yep. That being said, I'd like to thank, uh, again, I'd like to thank um, Dr. Williams for coming out, and I'd like to um, close our show as we, um, you know, go out like we come in, and that's a praise Nat Turner. Glory to Garvey, along with the spirit of Dr. Khaled Abdul Muhammad. Praise Harriet Tubman. Glory to Ida B. Wells, along with the spirit of Sister Fanny Lou Hamer. Um, you will be on in the trunk. You got, to, got to add Dr. Clark and Dr. Ben. Yes, uh, yes, yes, sir, Dr. Clark, and, and yes, to the ancestral realm, yes, indeed, Dr. Clark and Dr. Ben, those are those are ancestors for uh, on Saturday. That's where we dedicate our show to Dr. Clark on in, in the um, the theme of our Saturday show is who's still betraying the African Revolution. Oh. And yes, sir, Dr. Ben has just went into the ancestral realm, so we we haven't gotten around to adding them into our into our theme, but we definitely will. We we always keep him. On, on the tip of our tongue, on the top of our mind, and always in our heart. Right, and cheek, Dan, the, uh, uh, cheek answer Diaz yes, also. Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. All the great. Cheek answer Jock, uh, Chancellor Williams, George D. Jackson. We want to give praise to all the ancestors who made sure that this mighty, you know, that this job that we have um, is, going, is going forth, going well, and they've done a mighty work to bring us to where we are right now. But remember, family, where we are right now, we got to get on the shoulders of our elders and, and move forward. Okay. So with that, young men, young ladies, I'll say may I hotel. My hope. guys, and I'll uh, hope to be back on again sometime. Yes, sir. All right. My hotel. My hotel. My hotel. All right. Well, family, that's our Dr. Walter Williams. Y'all can stick around for the after party. After Dr. Will goes off, we're in the show. We'll open up all everybody's lines, and we'll get into the after party. But, again, thank you all for coming out. It'll be before we end. Crack in the trunk. house nigga, too. Don't forget the house nigga, too. No doubt, no doubt. Uh, hold on. Let me drop that recording. Oh, yeah, hold on, hold on. Before we close, yeah, before we close, thank you, Brother Hayroo. Please, please drop that before we close out. Yep, I'm glad I, I'm glad it messed up. This is from the Historical Origin of Christianity on page 100. I have been fortunate not to allow any man-made religion to sever or confuse my personal relationship with my Creator. You were born with the same birthright. Use it. Always remember that you were born spiritually free of all man-made religions. An example, no one was born with a religion. What happened is that Man-made religion was introduced to confuse the natural spiritual cosmic unity you have with 
the she or he creator in its place. You were indoctrinated by man in one of his man-made pagan heathen occult religions, such as Christianity, Islam, Black Hebrewism, Judaism, Buddhism, etc. These religions were designed for political and social control. By not understanding your natural spiritual connection with your creator, you allowed man to confuse and substitute your naturally given spiritual birthright with one of his man-made unnatural religions. This is similar to being introduced to cigarettes, alcohol, or drugs. You were not born with cigarettes, alcohol, or drugs, nor were you born with any of the man-made religions. Man-made religions, cigarette smoking, drinking alcohol, and the using of drugs are all man-introduced. Always remember, your creator provided you with all your spiritual needs at the time of your birth. The introduction of religion was done to place governments, nations, and all of the civilized world under the control of an assortment of man-organized religions. One must always remember that all religions today are used as political tools of control, political, military, economic, including taxation and social control, have proven to be easier under man-made religious rulership. This was also the smoothest path for eventual world domination and the acquisition of absolute power, misdistribution of wealth, and a world population of obedient religious slaves. Always remember our ancestors, the ancient Egyptians, never had a practice of religion. They practiced what is now called today the Ma'atan, the, the, the Ma'atan Creed, a natural spiritual way of life that was in tune with the spiritual consciousness and rhythm of the universe based on the cosmic natural laws of Ma'at, truth, justice, peace, wisdom, and love. We love you, uh, Baba Walter Williams, for this work. May it live on and carry us to our liberation forever, all the way back to the cosmic now. Peace, blessings, and love. Black power. Cracker in the trunk. I think it's up. What does it take to end cyber attacks? At Cyber Reason, we can tell you exactly what it takes. It takes an army of battle-tested defenders on a mission. Defenders who fight foes that operate under the cover of digital darkness. Defenders who think, move, and adapt faster than cyber attackers. Defenders with the technology and effortless automation to spot and attack forming on computers, mobile devices, servers, and the cloud, and alert you when it matters most. To end cyber attacks, it takes the brightest minds in global cyber intelligence working to deliver future-ready protection to guard your data wherever the fight moves cyber reason is ready to win the battle with you and for you in the fight to end cyber attacks we are the defenders join us to reverse the adversary attacks with proactive protection against ever-evolving threats cyber reason and cyber attacks from endpoints to everywhere learn more at cyberreason.com. that's c-y-b-e-r-e-a-s-o-n.com 